evening. Hello. Hey. Oh. Hey. Hello. <laughs> um, a bunch of colorful um, frames today, <laughs> <laughs> except for one. Um, so under this here, under me, you're missing something, um, Stefan, Stephen, Stephen. Yeah, I'm missing the projector <laughs> that uh, Paul and Colin ha have already bought and set up. So I'm making up for that by wearing a nicer shirt instead. <laughs> yeah, your shirt looks amazing. <laughs> So, um, so yes, welcome everybody. Uh, really good to see you all. Um, let me introduce uh, tonight's guests. We have uh, Colin Fraser joining us from Berlin. Hello. Hello. How are you? Sitting in your studio, I assume. Yeah. Well, office slash studio. Okay. Nice. With a beautiful uh, red uh, oil wheel uh, spinning behind you. Yeah, that's a new purchase. <laughs> Bit of vibe for the studio. Does it make you more productive? Get you in the mood? <laughs> it makes me more relaxed, actually. It's really, like, it's the most awesome thing just to sit and look at if you're trying to go to sleep, you know, project it up on the mm. ceiling. So, yeah, it's not really a productivity tool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I guess it sets the mood, right? It's, um, yeah. Gets yeah. you in the, in the, the night, night, uh, nightclub atmosphere, whatever. Um. I'll also say hi to the people who are uh, dropping in and uh, watching this on Twitch. Lots of friends from the Discord server and um, uh, people who are <laughs> following this. Hello. <laughs> yeah, that'd be me asking all these questions normally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we miss you in the comments already, uh, Stephen. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stephen is here, uh, Split Radix, joining us from uh, Ireland. Uh, where ex exactly where yes, are you from from Dublin in Ireland the capital nice. of Ireland yeah okay cool good to have you man great. good to see you on this side of the of the camera for, for, yeah. for once great to finally be here on the the Circlon special is that what we're calling the episode I don't know it's definitely a common theme uh, for sure yeah actually yeah so um, uh, yeah we'll definitely talk about that of course uh, we have to I guess um, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll do that for sure uh, let me also introduce uh, Paul Nagel, um, joining us from, um, what was it? Preston, right? Preston. It's easily forgotten. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you are also in your, your studio? I am, yes. Yes, my wife's away for a few days, so I've been uh, letting my hair down a bit and relaxing. <laughs> nice one. Although I'm quite sensible today. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, for now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so yes, as uh, as Stephen mentioned, uh, maybe this could be the Circlon um, edition because uh, every one of us here uh, owns one, and actually the the person who came up with the, the crazy machine is uh, is Colin. So um, maybe my first question, Colin, um, you know, I can imagine if you're in the studio and you think about, uh, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have a machine that does this and that and does it my way uh i've had that a few times but i've never ever um thought or even attempted to uh, start building something myself so how how do you get from from uh, having an idea for something that you're that doesn't exist to actually start building one what is the what is the process there well the first sequencer i built um 
the necessity was the mother of invention because it was like a long, long time ago, like 19, 91, 92, I think it was 92, um, when I was a student or I had just finished uh, university uh, and didn't have a job because it was just after Gulf War version one and the economy had tanked. So I had graduated with a degree in computing science and then there was there were no jobs to be had. So I was um, working part-time in a supermarket and uh, I got some money for my 21st birthday and bought a couple of bits of music gear, a Pro One, cost me 60 pounds. Wow. Um, Those go. were the times, eh? <laughs> Those were the times, yeah. Uh, a Tascam Porta One, like a four track, uh, a little boss drum machine, like a DR550. And I messed about with them for a while, um, like trying to record stuff on the four track, on the Porta One. Uh, but you can't really, you know, you, you can't make electronic music playing it by hand. It just doesn't sound right. So for a time, I was um, like triggering the Pro One sequencer with like I would lay down a click track on the on one of the tracks of the Porta One and use that to trigger the Pro One sequencer, and I was trying to do stuff like that. But um, I I realised I needed some kind of sequencer, but this none of this stuff was MIDI, and I didn't have the money at the time for like a an ST or an Amiga or something. Um, so I had a, like an old BBC microcomputer. It's like an old eight bit computer, um, and I. I had done computing science, so I knew how to program, but I didn't really know how to do the electronics. Uh, but I got this little um, project book from a store in the UK, no longer exists, called Maplin. Um, this was a book by a guy called R.E. Penfold, who was like a prolific writer of like hobbyist electronic books, wrote really good stuff. Um, and he had a design in this book for like MIDI interfaces for various old computers. So there was like a MIDI interface designed for the BBC. And there was also this really simple um, CD converter design with like a simple DAC. So like I built a, a version of this CD output board for the, the BBC Micro and um, wrote a little sequencer program for it and started, sold the Porta 1 um, because... I realised there was there was no need for that, and bought a tape deck instead, and then picked up another couple. I think I got an SHO nine next, and then did stuff with the with my little step sequencer. So like that that sequencer was like eight tracks. Um, you could press keys to mute and unmute the tracks. There were like sixteen step patterns, you know, with accent and um, velocity, sort of basically like. Uh, like the Roland drum sequencers, you know. Mm. Didn't have an 808 or a 909 at that time, but I did have like a little DR550 and that was the same sort of paradigm of programming little 16-step patterns. Yeah, most sequencers were like that in, in those days, right? Yeah, I mean, they were super, super simple, but... Yeah. And they kind of like, you know, techno really comes from that that simplified paradigm. You know, I mean, in theory, you were able to program whole pieces of music you know on on something like a 606 there's this an old like roland bulletin somewhere that's that's got like uh it's some beatles track i don't know it's day trip mm. or something and it's got all the different patterns to, to program into your 606 you know to do this backing <laughs> track sort of thing but you know if you couldn't find the manual and you didn't know how to use that or program a track then you would just be doing repetitive like patterns and stuff so yeah I, that that was 30 years ago now I did that sequencer um, I used that for a while and then I, I got was given an Amiga my brother had this Amiga and he'd got a better computer so he gave me the Amiga um, 
And that was, a, like, in retrospect, a mistake because I didn't ever really enjoy making music with a computer with, like, a, a mouse interface. There weren't really any good sequencer packages on the Amiga. It wasn't an ST, you know. Um, I used a package called Music X for a while. Um, there were trackers, though, in those days. There was trackers, yeah. I did have a tracker. I had a Techno Sound Turbo. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah. But, but without without good sources of sounds, you know, there was no internet to download samples from or anything in those times. Yeah. So if you wanted to sample stuff, you basically had to sample stuff off stuff that you had, you know. So, you, you know, I did a few tracker modules with, uh, like, samples of records and stuff, but it's not really the same, you know. I much, I much more prefer, like, analog sense, you know, tweaking the knobs and getting a nice sound out doing a repetitive pattern and just tweaking the knobs while it plays and it sounds like you're doing something clever you know so yeah the 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 90s i spent going through a progression of like the amiga and then i got an st and used cubase and cubase was a lot better and then i got a pc because a pc was better than an st but then cubase in the early days on the mm-hmm. pc was just absolutely shit it was you know awful it was like cubase score 1.1 was the first one that I used, you know, and the timing was just dire and it crashed all the time and stuff. Um, so that the, by the end of the 90s, I kind of realized that I m- had much preferred using my little 8-bit computer with the step sequencer in it. So I decided I would go back to using that, but it needed a better interface. So I thought I would build a little, like a little box that would have some knobs and buttons on it, you know, sort of knobs like the dope for MAQA sequencer because that looked quite good with its three rows of 16 knobs but I felt that you really needed to have step keys as well so the idea was to do something that was like a cross between the 909 and the dope for Mac um, and built that as a box that attached into the, the BBC computer um, now the, the original computer, the original sequencer that I wrote back in the early 90s I had called PSeq because it was a pattern sequencer so when I added the hardware to it, that became PSeq 2, um, which was shortened to P2. And then I did separate it from the 8-bit, the creaky old 8-bit microcomputer. I built a little um, separate processor board to go inside it, which became the, the P3 sequencer. So that was like about 2000, 2001, I built that thing. And at that time, it was all on like circuit boards that you you bought a bit of PCB that had the copper on it and you drew the PCB traces on with a sharpie and then put it in the acid and, and etched it and stuff like that you know um, which wasn't really a way that you could go into mass production um, so then about I think it was like 1993 uh, when the, or 94 maybe when the, the internet really started to get going and then this company um appeared on the internet, Olimex, who would make PCBs. If you if you designed your own PCB, then they would make professional quality PCBs from your design for a relatively reasonable, you know, a, a, an affordable amount of money. And it got a lot cheaper if you um, if you made more PCBs. So uh, I, I worked out that if, if I could persuade people to buy a kit for building this sequencer, um, and if I could sell 50 of these kits, then we could, I could order these PCBs and, you know, sell the, the PCBs for like small amount and uh, ship the processor with it. So I uh, posted about that on a, the, I think it was Analog Heaven mailing list, which is still going. Um, 
just sort of speculatively to see if people would buy them. So the, the 50 were um, snapped up pretty quickly. So it was really, never had any intention of starting a business, you know, it was just a hobby that kind of got out of control. Definitely um, got out of control. Yes. <laughs> No, but I mean, I, I, you know, please, please do finish the the whole sort of uh, storyline from from you know early days to to like the circle and how it is now. But still, Colin, <laughs> you could have cho- you could could have made the choice just to make music what was available to you, you know, and and you still you you met, you know, basically your choice was to build stuff yourself. Yeah. So what, is it is it like uh, you know is that your real interest or is it is it really are you that annoyed with the stuff that is available that it you know you just had you just had to uh, come up with the, your own the, solution when i decided i didn't like the p when i decided i needed to go back the hardware route and use a hardware sequencer i tried i got an uh, an alesis mmt8 yeah 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 which which works really well except it doesn't really do step time and you can't really edit the things once you've recorded it you know and the buttons get flimsy very very quickly yeah. <laughs> and then after that i tried a, like a more obscure one called a cheetah mq8 that's the little mm. um, brit was it like a british made little sequencer uh, and it had great potential. It was some really cool things that it did, but it was just such a bad implementation. They had this, like they had eight keys on it for the for the eight tracks. It was an eight track sequencer. It had these eight keys, and um, the way that the, the keys were wired into the processor, it couldn't read more than one key being pressed at the same time. Mm. Right, so you couldn't like unmute all the tracks at once you know if you wanted to unmute like four tracks you would have to do one two three four like in a row and not overlapping them and it was you know i was kind of looking at the inside of this uh sequencer to see if this would be fixable and really the only way to fix it was to 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 rewrite the operating system for it you know and programming was was what i did anyway i've been programming since i was like a a teenager and i learned to taught myself to program on the bbc computer like in the mid 80s so um, it wasn't really the intention to, to you know, get into building my own thing. It was just to have the thing do what I wanted it to do. Right. You know? And then you get kind of trapped in this, you know, almost in a kind of prison of uh, whenever you're using the thing, thinking, oh, that would be a bit better if it did this and it would be better, better if it did that, you know. And then you get friends that have them and they go, oh, could you make it do this? And could you make it do that? And you think, well, yeah, you could do that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you need to point the right way. <laughs> but then it works out better, you know. As you know, you could build your own thing, and your own thing would be would be cool, you know. Do what you wanted, but uh, you wouldn't have the idea of doing other stuff that other people ask you to get it to do. So other people say, "Oh, can you make it do this?" And you think, "Well, yeah, it'd be cool if it did that." So you add that, and it improves it. You know, it's a good thing about uh, software. You know, it's easy to. It's easy to keep going. Yeah, so so basically you started doing that and, and you shipped your first uh, boards and stuff and obviously at some point it caught on and made you decide, okay, this could be a business. Yes, it was my wife's fault that it became a business. Because <laughs> I, David, the like, wife. I, I was, at the time I was doing the P3, I was living in uh, Glasgow, but we had got married and we were planning to start a family, so we had moved a bit more out to the sticks um, and I was commuting to work so I was like 
you know, I, I don't know why the world's set up this way, but everybody, you know, everybody has to be commuting at the same time of day. So it's you, you feel like you're wasting two hours of your day, you know, stuck in heavy traffic every day. So uh, the job was a bit crap as well because it had been a, it had been a decent job that got worse because I was in a, a like an IT division that got outsourced from the main company being part of, and they were kind of being sidelined and um, having less and less interesting stuff to do. So. Like after my son was born in 2005, my wife said, like, you know, um, she was working at the time um, running a, a door business. Um, her family business had been in shop fitting and they had started this um, door factory. So she was really busy doing that. So she said to me at that time, you know, you really hate your job. Why don't you give up your job so you're more available at home when we've got the baby and um, you could have a shot at seeing if you can. Uh, make a living from selling these sequencers so that lasted about like a year doing it as a proper company and then the uh, the, the processor that we used in the P3 became unavailable because the, the EU uh, ROHS rules came in that meant that you couldn't use uh, lead and solder anymore um, and the, the, theoretically, the processor was available in a lead-free version as long as you were going to buy a minimum of 10,000 of them. So at that time, it was like, you know, many of many of these were built about 250. So, mm -hmm. oh well, <laughs> it's going to take me a while to get through 10,000 processors. And it was going to cost like 30,000 quid to buy mm -hmm. them. So I took like six months off. <laughs> to design a new version of the sequencer. But, you know, <laughs> if you've got young kids, six months easily will turn into four years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the replacement for that was the Circlon, you know, which to a large extent is, you know, I mean, the Circlon started out, it was just to be a like a processor upgrade and run the same <laughs> software that was in the P3, you know, and a lot of the software was, was common because the P3 was written in C language. There's a little bit of, like, low-level stuff that's done in assembler but it was basically c so the, the first like prototype of the circle that i had was just the p3 sequencer engine like ported to a different user interface that had the encoders and stuff so things could be more flexible and it was a lot more powerful you know it had all these extra serial ports so you could have multiple midi ports and stuff you know so yeah and it's been a you know it's been a victim of its own success, certainly, because you, you make these things and you don't know if people are going to buy them or not. You know, you don't know whether uh, you, you offer a hundred of something up for sale, people will want them, and then you end up with lots of people want them and then get them and then rave about them and then lots more people want them, you know, so. Uh, yeah, and now for years there there are massive waiting lists, you know. Are there, uh, yeah, so. I mean, <laughs> what I should have done much earlier on was move production out of the UK because the UK is really not a place where you want to be trying to make stuff unless you're doing it on a low scale, unless you're employing the people to do it yourself, you know, because when you're a, like a small business customer of, of places like PCB factories and guys that do metal work and stuff, you're always like their lowest priority, you know? So, um, yeah, we were kind of decided to move, like after the, moved to Berlin after the um, Scottish independence referendum happened and Scotland voted to stay in the UK, which 
going to get that politics. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my preference, you know. Uh, and I thought at that time, I thought at the time that Scotland voted no to independence, that uh, it was pretty inevitable that the, the the rest of the UK would likely vote to leave the EU because there had already been talk of that, you know. So even like before the before the Brexit referendum happened, I had already said because the, the, the England are going to vote to leave. We're running our own business here. It's difficult to it's difficult to get stuff because like in Scotland, I mean, there's no. There's no manufacturing base left in Scotland, really. You know, there's like one company that does one or two companies that do PCBs, you know, and the one place that did a couple of places that did metal work. But really, um, we felt if we moved into Europe, we'd be safe from the problems of Brexit and uh, we'd be able <laughs> to, yeah, get things moving faster. But yeah, it's just it's, it's been a constant battle. When we when we moved to, to Berlin, the plan was to keep our at that time we had a company in the the south of england that were making our, our circuit boards for us and the plan was to keep getting the circuit boards from that from them you know uh but they like they suffered really badly after after the brexit vote happened before brexit happened so after 2016 because they um they reckoned that they had maybe 10 to 15 percent of their staff were were like italian or german or french or whatever you know young young people that were like young skilled people looking for work and wanted to move to britain because it was cool you know so um those sorts of people just disappeared after the brexit war happened because people didn't want to come and uh didn't want to come and potentially get kicked out again in two years when brexit actually happened so we kind of unex had an unexpected um, parting of the ways with them in, in 2018, which kind of prompted the development of Circlon too. Because you know, as you when you design something, and you're you're not like an engineer. Because I wasn't trained as an engineer; I trained in, in software development. You know, um, once you make something, you realise like things that you should have done differently. So there's a kind of process of like refining. Uh, how you make something, how you design something to make it easy to make, you know, rather than if you're, if you're just an end user of a, a product and designing it, then you think about how it appears to the end user. You don't think about how it's constructed inside in order to make it easy to construct. So there's been a kind of evolution from the, the P3 to the Circlon. The Circlon was much easier to put together than the Circlon, but still in some ways, you know, there's been some things that made it really difficult to build. So the Circlon 2 was... Uh, I started to work on that at the end of um, 2019. We, we still had, we, we got the last delivery of um, Circlons from the UK company just in the start of 2019. So for the, the latter part of 2019, we, we sold those. And then at the end of 2019, it was either, do we order more from these guys? Do we order more of the Circlon one and try and find somebody else to make it? Or do I take six months out, design a new thing and get it moving? So that was the plan at that time, end of 2019, right? We'll do six months. So, uh, in fact, no, that was that was the start of 2019, yeah. Um, and then we got evicted from our office in uh, Kreuzberg at that time. So it took a few months extra <laughs> to get it developed. So it was all ready to go by the end of 2019, and then that's when uh, the, the whole COVID thing happened. So... Uh, since then it's been a kind of battle to like get parts and, and stuff you know um, even now it still takes ages to get stuff it used to be you could order you know stuff from the far east and 
it would take like three or four weeks for them to get ready and then it would ship and it would take like three or four days to come from there, you know, but everything now it's like, it's dragged out, there's lead times and parts and it's, it's waiting for stuff and whatnot, so... So, so you said you know you know you get like um, feedback from friends and user users and uh, you know who say um, can you make it do this or that? Um, I think Paul has been uh, involved early on, right? What what are the are the kinds of things you uh, you suggested and what what uh, what is, are the kinds of ideas you you brought <laughs> into the uh, into the concept? I'm trying to remember when we first uh, it met. Was it maybe? I think it was 2005, maybe. Well, I think it was earlier than that. I think because it was you had one of the, the like the pre-production P3s. Mm, yeah, well, several. So I that think. was like 2003. That was when I first got the circuit boards, the, the proper mm. PCBs to do them. And at that time, it didn't. There was there was not ideas that you had for for specific things to do, but just can you make it do this that that provoked well i mean i'd I'd been looking as as you can imagine for the perfect sequencer for many years i've tried all sorts of things from old korg sq10s to i used to use a couple of tb303s not for the sound but uh, as sequencers because they just gave me so much kind of tweakability live you can kind of gang patterns and have them playing chains and so on but i was still looking for something and I was also reviewing gear for Sound on Sound, so I managed to get my hands on lots of interesting stuff. Things like the Notron, the electronic Notron, was uh, one of the most interesting. Oh yeah, I've, I've I still I still got one sitting here. It's, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does it work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got ah. the I got the early one, so the grey the grey round ah, one. Yeah, yeah. Darth Vader's toilet seat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, it's a it's such a, a striking piece of gear. You know, to just if you see, everybody who walks in here, you know, uh, they 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 first look at the classic uh, synths and everything. You know, like the the eye catchers, like the crown jewels. Yeah. But then yeah. they their eyes go to. The, the Notron, what's that, you know? <laughs> uh, well, but it was a great interactive sequencer because one of the things I always value is something that you can, you don't have to stop the music. You don't have yeah. to, you know, yeah. it, it's a very direct interface and, okay, you may not be able to do everything, but what you can do should be accessible. Yeah. So I think a lot of the ideas that I had were to do with performance. I wanted to be able to go and do gigs without necessarily lots of preparation. I wanted to be able to jam and improvise live, which mm. meant being able to bang notes in, which also meant being able to do random things that was sort of controllable. So I think that's where Force to Scale came in, in that we, you know, it's already well yeah. to have something that, say, accumulates like the Notron, where the notes go up and down, but wouldn't it be great if they were confined to a scale? Mm. And of course, once you start suggesting things to Colin, <laughs> you, get the, you get the first generation, which kind of yeah, yeah, answers all those things. But then after that, it's how can you refine it? What else can you do? So you would have eight user scales in the P3, which is great because not only have you got scales you can define yourself, but you can change them as it plays. So it gives you a whole new level of control. Um, and I've been asking people to build me things for years, you know, wacky ideas that I get. And then Colin actually listened. So, because <laughs> yes. I've tried it with all sorts of you know, larger companies and things like that, having the ear of a few people from writing reviews, you would hope, you know, you get some things in. And I occasionally got stuff in, 
people like Waldorf and Access and so on who listened, but Colin was the first person who really listened to pretty much everything that I dreamed of he, he could do. You know, so the P3 grew from something was essentially eight TB303s type sequences into, well, a monster, really. It pretty yeah. much did everything I asked. And that was remarkable. I could go you on stage. You kind of prefer that to the Circlan still, you say? I, well, I still like it because it can't do that much. But what it can do, I know my way around all the menus so I can kind of remember where I am on every page. I don't have to look at the screen to know where I am. I can just know how many keys I've pressed. I've got the nice direct knobby access, which again is a, it's a thing I, I enjoy rather than the encoders. I just find them more, more enjoyable to use. You can just grab them with more confidence. And it's muscle damage. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And because it doesn't have all the real-time stuff, I know that everything that's coming out of the P3 is, is a sequence of some kind. Okay, it's got you can play chords in it, but essentially it's a step-time machine. And I just find it very, very fast for my, for my needs. If I want to quickly create a sequence with randomized ratcheting and occasionally notes dropping out, and sometimes a note will be a different note or transposed by an octave, I can do all that really quickly without having to think about it. And, uh, yeah, if I was going to do much live stuff, I would still probably use the P3 rather than Circlon. Circlon's too much like cheating. It can do so much <laughs> for you, you know. It's, it's like you can do a complete arrangement, you can play a long polyphonic piano piece, and it all comes back sounding as it did. So, you know, that's almost getting towards laptop levels of preparation. It's true, it's true. I mean, the, the thing is, the Circlon, if you look at the machine itself, it looks like a very organized, very sort of... Um, you know, it's all quite blocky and and uh, uh, very clear interface. You know, you like you sixteen, sixteen of everything, and you you think if you if you never use the machine that it's a very nine oh nine ish uh, thing. You know, with uh, steps and you know, mm. like a very straightforward thing. But uh, the cool thing is that um, that's kind of deceptive because you know, with just a few key presses, you go you can go from a rigid. Um, structured thing to something completely, um, um, you know, completely go off into like whole orchestras of of stuff that is just coming from from one pattern. You know, it's like you have, mm -hmm. can have it made all these sort of side things and um, meandering from from just a, a few uh, uh, with just from in just a few steps. You know, it's, it's it's really powerful like that. You don't expect that if you if you if you just look at the way it looks. You know, it looks very sort of square, boxy. If you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, but it's actually very uh, jazzy, if to be honest. You know what I mean? The way it works. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done, Colin? Jazz sequencer? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, uh, it, that's quite a good question, though. I think one of the important things Circlon does is it gives you all the cool step time stuff of the P3 also all the auxiliary events which allow you to modify sequences as they play and to morph one pattern into another but alongside that it gives you real time recording so you've not just got the step time rigidity you can sit down and play some chords and have them play back however you want and it, you're not restricted to four bars or whatever it's just just a very natural way to work and then once you've got a whole bunch of things you like, hit save and you've got a scene, and that scene is everything you've just done. 
Yeah. Which, you know, to me, that that is the thing that gives it its strength. The fact that it's very say, free to improvise Paul, with. The Ox, the Ox events was a thing that, that you asked for, but not in a direct way. I never when ask I first, for it how it turns out, do I? <laughs> uh, yeah, when when I first showed you this when I first showed you the P three, it was at a state where it had like you had the note and the velocity and the like, gate length yeah. um and the tie and then you had four CCs. Four MIDI CCs, the, yeah. The four oxes but they weren't called oxes, it was just the four CC yeah. rows. And one of there was also a soft button for randomize that was like the, the randomize button. So as the pattern was playing you would press the randomize button, and as it passed each step, it would randomize the value on that step. Um, so aux events came from Paul saying, is there a way that you could make it like so that the randomize button stays on so that it every time, so that I don't have to hold it down so it keeps randomizing the value every time? And we had this sort of brief discussion where it was like, well, you could do that, but like the randomize button is actually randomizing the value that's in the pattern. So if you get it, to, if you ke- keep holding it down when you come back out of the pattern edit, then you've you've messed up your pattern. So he was like, "Well, is there a way that you could get it to just temporarily randomize the thing whilst the pattern's playing?" You know. So I was like, "Well, yeah, you could have like um, you could maybe have like a, a you could have a CC, and instead of the CC being sent out as a MIDI CC, it could like be the randomize the note CC, and it would like feed back in." Um, and at that point, I realised that like there's only 128 CCs in MIDI, so like the 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 bit in the in the pattern data that set held the CC number, there was only 128 possible values. So there was 120 other values that could be in there. So I thought, well, right, those 120 other values can be these like internal controllers that say like randomize the note, randomize the velocity and stuff. And then you just would, instead of assigning a CC to that row, you would assign one of these internal controls that we then called aux events because we decided it. Was well, that's the thing confusing. that sort of opened the floodgates, wasn't it? Yeah. So that, that once there's a possibility to to add new stuff that wasn't just a MIDI CC, it was a yeah. case of what could it do. Because I mean, the first the first ones were just like randomize the note, randomize the velocity, and it would just dynamically yeah. when that step played, yeah. it would randomize the note or the velocity by that amount just for that step, you know. Yeah. And even that was, you know, because it meant you could just have like say two or three of the steps in the pattern would would randomize the note, and the rest wouldn't. You would put force to scale on it, and then there would always be like notes in the scale or whatever. So yeah, then a lot of stuff. Once the basic framework of Ox events was there, a lot of it was just you saying, "Oh, could you get it to to, <laughs> yeah. to do this? Please, do please, that, please. Change, change the time base <laughs> or change the length and stuff like this." And then I, there was quite a lot that I came up with. And yeah. Ox events let like, you kind of easily do stuff that sounds like you're doing something really sophisticated. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> Which is that's that's the best. That's what that's what you know? what Paul actually called cheating before, right? <laughs> Well, oh, funnily enough, no, no, because that's rule-based stuff. You've you've mm. kind of designed it. You've programmed all the OGS events in, even though you don't necessarily know what it'll do each time. Mm. I think cheating is when you can kind of hit play and you've got your full orchestral oh, right. backing yeah, coming yeah. out, yeah. which you can do with Circlon as well. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's it's a, uh, a very um, uh, it's 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 part of basically using computers or uh, electronic instruments. To create stuff, you know, it's like uh, it's the the whole phenomenon of 
doing something and kind of expect a certain outcome but never be sure what it's actually going to do you know like so you basically it's half composing half stumbling mm. upon things you know yeah um yeah so, St so Stephen, what what is what what was your first acquaintance with the circlon and my first um so back in 2006 i got a proper job and i started buying analog synthesizers colin said he got a pro one for what 80 sterling i got one for 800 sterling <laughs> in, in inflation at seven yeah and um i bought a couple of synths and i was trying to get them all to play in time with ableton ableton seven back in the day and i had a machine drum and uh, a yomox 999 and i was having a load of problems getting everything to play in time and i was really annoyed and also i I work with computers on my day job, so I didn't really like using a computer to do this when I was trying to have fun with synths. I ended up moving over to Berlin in 2008 for this job, and I went to Schneider's bureau, and I saw uh, this hardware sequencer called the Genox Octopus, which is a bit like the mm. Notron. It has no screen, and it's all just little buttons you press that have lights on them. And that was the first hardware sequencer I ever got. And I really liked it, but that also had some timing problems and also was quite limited. You have 16 sets of eight bars as the max and you couldn't jump between them and make construct a proper song. So I, I tried an MPC 1000 then and that was really good, really tight timing, but it was annoying kind of entering all the notes in or editing the notes. And then I bought an a Roland MC4, which is a crazy, stupid decision. But I really <laughs> liked the, I liked the fact that it was no MIDI. It was going CV gate direct to the synths. And then I heard about this Circlon thing, which seemed like a combination of a Roland MC4 and um, an Akai MPC-1000 with a better interface. So I ended up finding one secondhand. This would have been back in 2012. When did it come out? 2011, Colin? 2000, yeah, first, first yeah. time. So the, I got one secondhand in 2012 before anyone else knew what they were. So there wasn't a big queue of people trying to get them secondhand as well. And I instantly fell in love with it. And it really worked the way I kind of make music. It really suited the, like I mostly make kind of um, electro and kind of housey, acidy stuff. And the Circlon for me really suits that kind of um having patterns and then keep repeating patterns when adding stuff to them or taking stuff away and muting instruments. So did, did, really the, into did, that. did the CV breakout books, was, was it there from yeah. the beginning? Um, was it there that, from the start? Yeah, uh, okay. Mine so came at one of those. Yeah, right, I really okay. needed one of those because I was sure. buying more yeah. and more analog stuff. I was getting into Eurorack, which is um, obviously a silly thing to get into as well. If you want to burn all your money, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> but, um, but, the, the Circlon was great at keeping all the Eurorack in time with all the drum machines and all the other synths as well. And for a while, I was just using it as a regular sequencer. I didn't touch the aux defense because I thought to myself, I don't want to randomize anything. I want to play the melody and I want that to be my song. I don't want machine messing with my melody because some of the notes will be wrong. But then I realized the Circlon's actually a lot smarter than that. The, you, can, you can control the random using the aux events. You don't just have a note, like random note between anything you want. You can have it pick specific notes from another pattern, or you can force it to scale. You can create your own scale and force it to scale that way as well. 
So I've been getting more and more into the, the AUX events, like a, a few years after I got it. And now, um, I really love doing AUX event, like generating stuff, like crazy stuff, but also in normal tracks where I'm making up the melodies myself, I can still sneak some AUX events in that do interesting things. Like, you know, one trick I like doing is you have the fill button on the circlon. And when you press the fill, you can have that, um, have an AUX event on your fill track to half the tempo or to make the tempo slow down on each step. <laughs> so it sounds like you press fill and it sounds like the track is kind of mm. slowing down, like you turn off a record. And then you can also, in the fill, you can have all the notes go down an octave. So it really sounds like it's suddenly, it's gone to half speed and it sounds like it's pitched down as well, even though it's just all the MIDI notes are down an octave. Stuff like that is what I really like sneaking into regular tracks that don't sound so crazy. They're not completely random, but all these aux fans and stuff really work in that making those kind of things. Yeah. And I've been, um, a few people know already, I've been doing some tutorial videos on how to use the circlon, but I have not done any aux event videos yet. That's going to be the next do one. one I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> going to be know, more than one. It's going to have to be multiple ones. Yeah, it's on like on, on sometimes on, on discussions when the circle comes up, you know, during these chats or even on Discord, you know, the aux events are the, the, the subject that is most uh, mysterious to people, you know. Yeah. So um, I can yeah. understand that. It's a tricky thing to explain because it's kind of like explaining some code you've written sometimes. It's like aux events are like lots of little Lego bricks of is changes there a way, you can do. Yeah, is there a way you can simply explain it in a few sentences? What what do they do? <laughs> what is or uh, okay? Well, I give some examples. You have yeah, yeah, you yeah. can have one aux event that randomizes a note. You can have so you can have your note um, go from um, C D E, or you can have the note go right up and down the whole one hundred and twenty eight. You can have another aux event to randomize if the note plays. 100% of the time or 50% of the time or 70% of the time and but then you can also have an aux event that can turn on and off your note randomization you can make that note randomization only happen 50% of the time or 25% of the time 75% of the time a bit like tracker events I've got the polyend tracker I'm working through that as well so all these uh, aux events like the random note is the note going to be on and off is the random note thing going to happen can kind of build all them into layers and you can have that affect all your different well not all, all your pa any pattern you want all your patterns are just some select ones there's also other oct events you can use to mute certain instruments like if i had like an 808 and a 909 i can use an oct event to mute the 808 track completely um mute the 909 or change the midi channels so the 808 pattern is now going to the 909 and vice versa stuff like that there's a lot of little tricks you can do and each one by itself is pretty simple, but when you start putting them all together, like a, a Lego set, you can build yeah. quite complicated things. One so of my favorite gonna be, things That's is... gonna be an good video, yeah. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, one of the things that you don't always realize is because you've got different directions for every pattern and aux events can grab events from another pattern, you could have perhaps a series of chosen notes that are not playing, not playing any actual instrument, but the, your current pattern could be grabbing them. And because you can change the direction, you've got a kind of random direction on the one that's not playing, but the one that's playing ordinarily can get any of those notes, but you don't know which one it's going to be. And that's on yeah. a per-step basis. And that's when it starts going, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you can very quickly start like messing with your mind. Go, well, how it, is that? It can, paid? it can, and you've got to sort of do it, and you've got to sort of turn the knobs, and you've got to interact with it until it starts to make sense. I think exactly that's the thing. You almost tune it like a synth. You know, you you, yeah, yeah. you basically set it up to do something, but then you have to fine tune um, every every value to to make you know to get something out of it that makes sense or that is to your liking. It yeah. So it's mm. it's yeah. You have to you can you you have to to really tune it, like, you know, sort of uh, sculpt it to, to make course, it do what yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's a very, um, uh, well, I mean, in on sequences available, like in Max MSP, it's a similar thing, you know, but uh, on hardware sequences, that's a pretty uh, unusual thing, you know, that you that you end up in that territory where you, where you basically are just fine-tuning parameters to get a coherent outcome, you know? Uh, I saw another questionnaire. Yeah, so question from uh, Black Market Droid Smith, our uh, regular from Discord. Can you assign them to the experts? <laughs> can you assign them to buttons so you can change the events on the fly? Presumably, that means aux, aux events. Aux, aux events yeah. Well, I mean, they do have a top-level button when you're first allocating them, but there's no kind of shortcut. There, there are some macros for. Uh, just for auxiliary events for notes for uh, that's the only macro you can have it? some aux events on a pattern that doesn't have any other notes on it and you could just mute and unmute that pattern yes. to have those aux yeah. events happen also there's you the can also you can also set up like uh knob masking events so that you can assign the front panel knobs so that those knobs the position of those knobs can influence whether other events will happen so that you can set up a pattern where you've got like randomization if you turn the knob up full then every note in that pattern will randomize but as you turn the knob down like fewer and fewer so you know you'll start with the knob at zero and nothing's randomizing and as you turn it up you'll get one step will start to randomize and then another one and then gradually by the end it, it's chaos you know yeah um, the thing about randomization well, also, is though, he says they're jammable too yeah exactly it's uh yeah, yeah you, it's very hands-on very uh um, yeah yeah i mean you need tweakable. to set some things up like for the knob masking you need to set it up in your pattern already um yeah but the thing is the more sort of the more of these sort of like pseudo random type things are sort of like there's, there's a point where if you're making enough change to a pattern it just sounds totally random and it, you know, there's not enough. You, you lose any kind of self-similarity, and really, for something to be like kind of musical, it doesn't want to just never sound the same. It wants to have like a kind of pattern to it. You know, there's like a, a standard pattern, or not standard pattern, but like a type of pattern I use quite a lot for the 303 that I really like, where I just set up like a four-step pattern that'll be four different notes, and I'll have a couple of aux events that are set up to change those four notes to four other notes but th that change is randomized so it only mm. happens maybe 10 or 20 percent of the time that each but the of those notes, notes change to one of the other notes mm. and then i'll have an aux event that's randomizing the velocity so that that will like randomly throw in accents here and there and another aux event that randomizes the ties the tie, so every so often tie. <laughs> you'll get a slide and like if you work it out mathematically, there's then there's only a certain number of possible different patterns that you'll actually get with that amount of randomization. And they all sound quite similar. And you listen to it and it sort of sounds like a repeating pattern, but if you try to like hear where it's repeating, you'll never actually hear a repeat because you just can't remember the different subtle variations that are on that pattern, you know. 
but it's it's like it's obviously not totally random but it's obviously not like just the same thing that you're hearing over and over again and i really like that as a sort of you know it's like a 303 burble in the background sort of thing it's like uh cool sounding you know without yeah, yeah, turn on my lights hang on <laughs> yeah i guess i guess it's it's um uh to get like more sort of uh, organicness or more lively uh, th- sort of a feel in in your in your music, it's a uh, it's always a matter of finding the uh, enough stuff that changes and um, and little enough to keep the coherence there. You know, so it's yeah. uh, so you have to you can in theory set something up and have one note play and then uh, you know have all kinds of things happen. Um, and everything is going to be different, and there's as many possibilities as there are stars in the universe. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, yeah, th- that is a possibility. But if if you if you sort of make sort of uh, limits to how how random things are, or um, or just use random for switching things and stuff like that, then it's uh, you can still keep like a coherent thing, and uh, and still get a very sort of random feel to it, to it, but still um, something recognizable. The aux events are really something that it's better to see them happening. It's really I find it hard to explain them as a concept sometimes. It's well, do the video, like, do the video, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to do the video. But I can actually, I, w- I would what, I would encourage people to to watch uh, um, Stephen's videos on this uh, Split Radix uh, um, YouTube channel if you if you really want to see uh, you know the depth of. Um, what he, he does with the circle it's a really good source of uh, information i mean colin has done some and uh, of course paul you know you you you'll have done videos but the, uh, the one yeah. from steven are um, they're more sort of more recent right you haven't done them yeah. for a long yeah so well the last one yeah, they're all they're all like f- quite long right like an hour or so it's, ah, yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty i went in depth videos because yeah. most YouTube videos are, are 10 minutes and they're really snappy and someone's just giving you information really quickly yeah. and i decided to yeah. go completely totally the other way to you really slow and i guess you back. have to man yeah. if you if you really mm. want to get your head around um yeah a circle on you have to do a very lengthy um, um demonstration i guess yeah so they're the kind of ones they're like hours long get a cup of tea sit down and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> here we go that's the that's nope. the link to the channel oh, okay. great thank you very much for posting it up um yeah so yeah so if anybody uh, has uh, any specific questions for the circle on heads here right now. Uh, please, uh, please drop them in the in the comments. Um, <laughs> how long is the waiting list? Except that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we started we started producing the circle on two, and it took like almost a year longer than we'd planned for it to do. We started producing it uh, like summer last year, and we were just like. Up until now, we've been doing a lot of the assembly work in Berlin, and I've had guys that have been in doing the soldering um, on some of the boards. Um, the, the plans for how we were going to produce it had to change when Corona happened because originally we were going to get a PCB place in Berlin to make them, but then it looked like there was going to be lockdown stuff happening and there was delays on stuff. So having done the first couple of hundred of the circle on two, we were now just at the point where we're ready to start getting the, the production scaled up um, just in time for the, the international semiconductor crisis to hit us. So are you still the selling, moment, selling the Circle on One as well? Or is, are you no, no, just... we, stopped, we stopped producing that right. altogether. Um, okay. What is the difference? What is the, what is the main thing, except for the 
the color display? What else is was what else is new? The the Circlon one was uh it's the, the it's, it's the same family of processors. So the processor is an ST microcontroller, which is really like all these companies make processors that are designed by ARM. So it's an ARM Cortex processor that's in it. And the P3 was based on the Cortex M3, which was like a, you know, that's a sort of 15-year-old um, CPU run at a certain speed. Uh, the Circlon 2 is based on the Cortex M7, which is a much more, it runs at three times the clock speed, but it also has other, like, enhancements. It's L1 cache and sort of technical things that mean, like, in performance terms, when it's running the, the Circlon sequence engine, it's sort of, five to ten times the, the performance of the Circlon one. So it can do a lot more stuff. You know? So so are there any any things that, that you always wanted to have the Circlon one do that were in, impossible because of the speed? Uh, are, are they not are have not, they become possible now with the new chips? The, the things that it makes the things that it makes possible are that the biggest advantage to me is that um, although MIDI, I mean MIDI is a fantastic interface, it is long in the tooth and it's serial, so it, you know, if you try and put lots of instruments on the same MIDI port, then you get latency, and it, you know, you need to you need to be careful what instruments share the same port. So you maybe have something that's going to do snappy percussive sounds, and then you can put another synth on there that's got pads. You know, so for me personally, the, the biggest advantage of the Circle on Two is the USB host port, because mm. I have this, um, I have a, like a MIDI Face sixteen port. USB MIDI interface attached to my Circlon 2, so that's um, those ports are all independent extra MIDI ports. So I have 21 mm. MIDI ports. So every synth is every MIDI synth is attached to its own MIDI port, so that the timing um, is is greatly improved on that. And, and with yeah. the improvement in the processor speed, you know the um, like the first customers that got the Circlon 2s who are, you know, fairly intensive users of it, like without me saying to them, who, by who the way, was the first, who was the first customer? Uh, the process is a lot quicker, you know, it is, I didn't say that and I, I got reports back. This this seems to sound a lot tighter as the timing improved. I'm like, yeah, Even tighter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I you know, this reminds me of uh, uh, remembering the working with... Um, uh, the Atari ST, you know, with uh, with just one MIDI port and uh, obviously everything running off that one MIDI port. I spend, you know, days moving notes about like micro timing to make them come first or, you know, like give them priority. If you if you move the tracks around in from top to bottom, they would yeah. be prioritized mm -hmm. in how, you know, yeah. when they were going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible that so much amazing music has been made on on these machines, but it it took like uh, massive tweaking. If you cared about timing, you know, you really had yeah. to dig in and to you know move things around to have it like sort of you know lock in and and be solid. One one of the things about the ST about the uh, about that period of time that I don't know if people realize or not, but one of the one of the things that actually worked out as a benefit was a lot of the synths of the time had quite poor timing. Mm -hmm. But if, if you're trying to get notes and synths to play at the same time, uh, and you can't send them out at the same time, but if you've got a synth that maybe takes five milliseconds to respond to the notes, and you've got another synth that takes eight milliseconds, then you actually don't want those notes going out in the MIDI interface at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives you this advantage where you get better timing than you would have done if all your synths were responding straight away. <laughs> you know? It's such uh, a nightmare to get that in time now. 
Oh, uh, I mean, the, the, in the 90s, like a lot of the workstations and since there was a, there was an article that uh, appeared and I think it was like Music Technology magazine where somebody had produced a bit of software that would send MIDI notes to synths and then uh, like res- detect Measure, the audio coming yeah. back from the synth and tell you how about. long it was taking mm. for the synths to respond. And they were appallingly bad. You know, there was things that took like 10 or 15 milliseconds for the sound to come out after it received mm. the MIDI note, you know. But in a way, that does actually help you if you've only got the one MIDI bus, because then once you've worked out the, you know, which is the, the, the has synth has the most delay, you, you put its track first, and then it's just about playing in time by the time it's responded to the note that you've put ahead. And yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And then there is also equipment that, um, I mean, the, even if the if the delay even you know just what would have been a fixed uh, delay, you know, then it would be. Uh, kind of um, tweakable you know but I mean there I I have lots of machines that get sloppier and slower the more MIDI notes you send to them mm. yeah it's crazy <laughs> anyway but uh, so having all you know all these parallel MIDI ports on the on this circle on two by having the extra bus sort of makes sure you everything arrives at the same time yes you can yeah. you can things get a lot tighter does it, still have those? Does it still have the the hardware five five hardware MIDI ports? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Right. The, the processor itself, like the, the processor that I chose, is basically a superset of the original processor, so it has all the same functionality. You know, it's essential. I mean, I'm still like I still am developing the OS for the original Circlon because um, most of the stuff is most of the stuff the source code is common. You know, there's like extra files that I then add in to do a build for the circle on two and like but you know the, the at the moment the circle on two display code is all running a kind of an emulation of the of like the lcd code that's in the circle on one although it renders it in a prettier way and it does a sort of you know an anti-aliased font that looks nicer but fundamentally like the the code that's doing the edit modes and stuff is still the same although it is i mean the the circle on one is getting to the point where it's it's memory is going to retro be looking. The, there's going to be a point where I say like, yeah, it's finished. We can't really do anything more with it because, mm. you know, I think it's got like 480k and it's something like 90 percent full or something now. You know, so there's, can you switch back? Like, can you switch back the the Circle on Two display to the Circle on One looking one? Can you? F- yes. Uh, yeah. There's ah, okay. Because I actually like the the aesthetics of it. You know, I really like blocky um, um, display interfaces. You'll totally <laughs> prefer the new one. Trust me. I tried oh, that really? as well. When I got the I got the the Circlon Two, and the first thing I did was, oh, this looks too fancy. I'll change back to the old one, mm. and then I use that for a minute and change back to the new one. And the new one's actually much better. When when I'm doing the videos, it's the new version, um, the new fonts that your uh, Colin was talking about. Yeah, right. and the other best thing about it, like Colin said, is that extra six. It's the USB host ports, which gives you extra sixteen MIDI outs. And Colin posted about that. He said, "What was he? Something like um, it's an extra sixty MIDI outs. So I'm going to have to buy like another nine since to double check that this works." <laughs> I've only I've only got five of those ports in use, so yeah, I still need to buy some more sense. <laughs> but also, there's the upgrade for people who have the Circlon One and they want to get the USB host ports and the new screen there will be upgrade kits for that eventually as well yeah that's kind of waiting waiting tentatively to see i've got i've got orders in for parts so this is like a few weeks ago i got this message from um, dan at intelligel saying like are you being hurt by this shortage of st processors 
and I was like at that time what what shortage of ST processors you know so the, the last few weeks we've been doing some um, panic buying and ordering of stuff because um, there's long lead times and things so at the moment we think we're okay we've got I've got like a large number of processors for circle and two boards um there's some other parts that we're waiting to see because you've got to have every part you know so uh there's some parts that i tried to order and they were out of stock almost everywhere and then you find places that have still got them but they're you know i think one of the one of the problems when there's a shortage of chips is there's there's like brokers will start buying up chips knowing that they're going to be able to sell them at a markup in a few months mm. i think there's a degree of that going on there's one chip that's like a 50 cent part that's that using the circle on two and one quote i got from it they were looking for seven dollars fifty each for these chips so um uh, uh, i believe i have a sizable quantity of them on the way from a reliable source but uh, <laughs> we've still got a few uh, a few weeks of nervous wait just to see that everything's in place to keep us going until the end of this year and then hopefully you know lead times are not going to look so bad towards the end of the year but in, at the moment, integrated circuits are the new toilet paper, you know. Uh, <laughs> is this, there, there are reasons why there's shortages, you know. There's like a huge semiconductor industry in Taiwan, and Taiwan has this unprecedented climate change-induced drought of the worst in 67 years, you know. So they're like reducing the amount of water that the semiconductor guys are able to use. So, um, yeah, it's a jittery situation, but I'm, I'm hopeful that... Uh, we've got enough stock and enough stuff coming in that we're going to be able to increase the production at the, the rate we were planning to do. So Cool. Um, yeah, one question I have for both uh, Paul and, and um, Stephen. Is the Circlon in your studio really, like, is it set up as the heart, um, sort of the hub, the central hub of, to run everything? Or is it, um, yeah, in your case? So, yeah, so in my you, case... 100%. So okay. I've got the the Circlon, I've got the Circlon 2, so it has its own five MIDI outputs going into various, um, well, it used to go into a few through ports, but now I've also got the the USB host, this expansion thing, so that's another 16 MIDI outs. And also have the breakout box for the CV and gate, so that's um, 16 CV outs and eight gate outs. And then also have the DMUX, so that's another, what, 16... 16 gate outs and 16 trigger outs. So that covers all these synths that you see behind you and the Eurorack and the Surge modular. So the when, when I'm making a track, basically I do everything in one take. I have the Circlon connected, like running um, five or 10 synths and a couple of drum machines and the Eurorack, whatever. And I just have it all going into mix and desk and hit record, press play in the Circlon once I've got the whole track together. And then just record it. Oh, so you actually also, so you actually also assemble the song. Um, you oh know, yeah, by, yeah, by yeah. I don't. Yeah, okay. yeah, the whole thing is the in the circlon, and then I'm just using Logic to record a stereo file off the mixing desk, which is a really kind of old, backwards way to do things. But I really enjoy doing it like that because the least interaction with the computer for me is the best. So it's, <laughs> yeah, sure, it's but totally I mean, you could, brain. you could. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, it's a common thing for people to basically run uh, a loop, you know, like uh, or maybe like on alternating two loops, you know, to get like something going and then tweak everything on the fly and it's record like an hour of it and then just cut it down as audio. But you actually write out the song from start to yeah, finish. Yeah, on, on I kind of like 
do the loop thing as a demo and I kind of figure out what I like but then I I never chop up when I start chopping up audio I just go what am I doing this is like work so (laughs) it's like yeah you feel like being if you're an you're an accountant or something (laughs) yeah well (laughs) not really actually so years and years ago I used to do these like remixes of pop songs where I take a pop song and I completely slice and dice it the audio and this label VVM used to release some of those like really chopped up stuff and I released so I used to actually chop up audio like extreme chop up audio but for making my own music I much prefer just do a little demo and figure out what I want and then program it into the Circon so it's just all the synths are playing the whole time and get that mix right and then just record one take or maybe record a half and then change in another half but it's rarely Mm. more than one or two chops I'm doing to get the, the songs together and right, I like so you're the, actual actual songwriter and not like a, a jammer. Yeah, yeah. Well, because <laughs> yeah. I like uh, I did piano lessons for years from about the ages of six to eighteen or nineteen, so I can play the piano and keyboards pretty well. So I enjoy like playing in notes and getting the melody or deleting the melody and starting it again. So I'm, I'm I think that's one of the things I'm better at. So I like getting it all in the circle on, and then the circle on has the whole song. And then at the very end, it's really funny. I press play and I can record the whole song. And then you just sit there watching the audio <laughs> record. Your song is finished. The circle <laughs> kind of once you've programmed it to do all the automation and the CCs and everything, you kind of sit back and just all right, just a bit of delay here, maybe a bit more reverb here, that kind of stuff. And I'm happy with the results. So um, you'll hear them soon. There, when I I'll start pimping that in the end, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the end, we'll give everybody uh, yeah. a, a few minutes to to uh, to plug their stuff. Um, yeah, cool, man. I mean, um, it's it's. Uh, I, I admire that because uh, I I would be too impatient to you know to program everything in advance. I'm more like uh, I need to have interaction with the machines and usually. I bet your way is I, quicker. My way is kind of slow. I think your way is probably quicker, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've kind of shifted from doing everything like that in Circlon to doing things in, in little patches. I've got three work areas, so the middle one, the main one, has got the most instruments, and that's the one that's controlled by Circlon. Uh, but I also have a, an octatrack based setup, which has a P3 attached to it, so I, all the fancy sequencing I can still capture and sample into the octatrack. But each of my three setups has a black box, that's my kind of favorite way of grabbing things. So I don't grab things multi-track. I grab individual bits. What is the black box? What do you mean? It's the 101 Music black box. It's a tiny little... Can you see? Uh, I can't see it from here. Oh, you mean it's a it's, it's an the, audio recorder? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an audio yeah. recorder, but um, a bit more than that. You can only record two tracks at once, but you can record up to 16 short loops or incredibly long kind of an hour long ambient piece so if i want to record like a piano piece i will first play it into circle until i'm happy with it and get it right and then when i am happy with it i just record that into the back box to be triggered by circle if i want uh during the the recording process so i i use the black box as my capture from sequences uh, it, it just seems to make more sense than doing everything the long way. I used to create scenes and in circle on that is not just in life. And, uh, <laughs> so, you so basically, you're, you're, all right. 
<laughs> well, so could, basically, yeah, your, I mean, your 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 black box box strategy is basically um, one of commitment. You basically once you're happy with it, you print it to totally. audio, and that and that's it. Yeah, okay. Because it, because I can't tweak the things I want to tweak necessarily with Circlon. If I want to bring mm. in some analog effects or do something on the mixer, you know, there's no way of automating that because it's a, it's an analog mixer. So mm. I capture a performance. I mean, it might be me playing the mini Moog which again, you can't necessarily automate in Circlon because it doesn't have CCs for all the knobs. So you've got to, yeah. you've got to find a fine line in, in order to capture what you want. And having done so, it, this 16 track limitation of the black box means you have to be quite minimal. So mm -hmm. it's, for me, it's good. If I had all the studio connected to Circlon and everything was switched on at once, it would be too many choices for me because you know, I'm old and quite, <laughs> quite indecisive. So if I narrow the choices down to a, a small setup where I just capture everything into a black box, I'm way, way more productive. Okay, so you have three of those black box. Uh, I do, yes. And, and so how do you assemble the final thing uh, from those? Are, they, are those transferred to a computer or something? They go, they go straight to a little Zoom hard, well, little solid state recorder. Mm. Tiny little Zoom H4. Oh, so the computer doesn't need to get turned on. The only time it gets turned on really is if I'm going to do any kind of level boosting or changing. But uh, it, it leaves me able to do everything completely free. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, actually, the, it's interesting because the, uh, how people find limitations for themselves is something that comes up all the time in these chats, you know. You, there's nobody seems to have a studio where everything is on all the time and everything is to their availability people have found everybody has found a way to reduce the amount of um, options just to get totally. something done yeah, yeah. yeah if you reduce yeah. the choices then you get on and you make some music if you've got more decisions to make i well, I'm useless at that yeah that's one of the yeah. golden rules i've heard in these streams so many really? times yeah <laughs> um all people who get stuff done seem to have are able to impose certain limitations on their mm. on their work. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had I've had uh, studios set up in in many different ways. You know, all the way from complete everything wired. You know, through patch bays, and you know, in theory, you would have the possibility to connect anything to anything else and and run thing run things through each other. You know, like totally flexible in theory, but in practice, what would happen is um you know uh, you you get you get you lose track of what you were doing because the patch bay is just you know even though you know the layout kind of you know uh it becomes once you start you know messing around with the patch bay and you've got more than 16 patch points uh actively running you can actually not see what's going on you know there's just a bunch of cables hanging hanging out and it's uh if you haven't really completely memorized what you did it's it's not um viewable in one glance you know what i mean so yeah, um yeah and and also the the other problem would be that uh one machine would be on this side of the studio and if you want to tweak that during the recording and you want to you know mute something else which is on the other side of the studio <laughs> for a few seconds you're running around and you know so i decided you know with the best way to do it for me is just to build a new setup on uh, i've got this table in the middle of yeah the, i've seen that table that's a great idea yeah, and it's got all the all these patch points that are running through to the computer or to the analog mixing desk, and I just build a setup for each project, 
and just you know jack it in and it's that way i can see what i've done you know i've just thought of the system i designed the system like uh you know that's half the fun you know like uh, what if would happen if i would do this or that you know and then you patch it together like that and and it's very uh, clear and and obvious what's happening because you've just connected it and and it's just there in front of you you can just trace the wires you know and then you know maybe four or five pieces of gear and that's it you know that's that's my what piece of for gear the, has for the what piece of gear has stayed on the table the longest like that <laughs> your favorites um I think the one that stayed on the longest while I'm here is probably the System 100, but that's just because it it is nice. way too heavy just to uh, I got <laughs> to lug around, you know. Inertia. <laughs> there, I got the System 100 and the 101 there. The 100M or the 100? Yeah, the 100 and the 101. The oh yeah, 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 keyboard. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a little studio tour, uh, Stephen. All right. I saw in your videos you got you got some pretty rare stuff. You got the Cork PS. Uh, what is oh, it? Oh yeah, no, the Cork uh, PS thirty one hundred. Yeah. I wow. The, when did you get that? On. I there it is there. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's really nice, and it has um, a Kenton MIDI kit in it. I, I got that um, a couple of years ago from um, the you know the Sphere the Vienna auction. Yeah. Yeah, so that cost a bit of money, right? It wasn't cheap. Yeah, it wasn't, I would a, say, yeah. It wasn't a bargain find <laughs> at all. But I thought I'd treat myself. I think it was my birthday or something. <laughs> and that was actually a great purchase because it sounds incredible. Just um, mm. it's it's really it's a really special sounding vintage polyphonic synth, and it can do four. It's quite strange. It can do forty eight notes at the same time, but it can't do. Like the the range has to be in that forty eight. You can't do like a C from a f octave five octaves up and a C from you know right down the bottom. It has to be forty eight notes from that C. You know what I mean? Huh. Yeah, Not you can really. move. My heart the, bleeds. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> because the the PS thirty one hundred actually has eight oscillators and it uses divide down technology to turn those. I don't know twelve twelve oscillators one scale and uses divide down to create um, what 48 notes. It has uh, 48 filters and 48 envelopes, 48 VCAs, but it only has uh, 12 oscillators. Okay, so, so that's, the, that's the one weird yeah. limitation that I'd never read about before or anything. So I, when I hooked it up to the MIDI, I was like, why can't I play the two notes, like the mm -hmm. bottom one and the really high one at the same time? It has to be within 48 notes. So that's mm. one of the, the main limitations, but it's still, it's still uh, an amazing synth, despite that. Yeah, That's yeah, it's incredible, babies. and they're very, really hard to find. Do you do you have anybody um, maintaining all your stuff uh, or keep it? Yeah, in there is. You do it yourself? No, I do not maintain stuff myself because I should learn how to solder. I can, I'm good at fixing computers. <laughs> I can take like the circlon apart. I replace the front panel, etc. But I'm not good at soldering, and I'm a bit scared of like opening up an old, expensive vintage synth and trying to solder it and killing it. So there's a guy in Dublin. Mm -hmm called uh john henson he's actually famous uh, he there was an article about him in the irish newspaper this is the guy that fixes all the synths and once that <laughs> article came out i could never get anything else repaired by him again because he had a queue of people saying oh wow i've got loads of stuff you should fix oh, yeah. my stuff yeah so now i've had to go off and find another guy who's my backup guy for fixing stuff as well 
And uh, it's funny, actually, you mentioned fixing synths because I had a, a synth in uh, Berlin, the Roland MKS-80, and I left it into this place in Berlin called Extended Berlin. <laughs> and these guys are actually very good. This isn't uh, to cast dispersion on them, but the guy fixing it could not figure out what was wrong with the MKS-80. And then I'd moved back to Ireland and it had been there for like two or three years or something. And I emailed them one day saying, I'll just give it to Colin. So I emailed him, do you have still got this MKS-80? And like the efficient Germans, the artists, yes, we do. It's right here. I have it stuck away somewhere. So Colin picked it up and he brought it home. And I think he got it working in two days or one day or something. Uh, well, yeah, it didn't. It was a, a problem that was not obvious unless you're familiar with like LCD displays. So as soon as I looked at the, the lines from the processor to the LCD display, it was obvious what was wrong. So um, it was, you could almost say that it was like a software problem, a system-level okay. problem rather than an electronic problem. So someone who wasn't like a, a digital system-level guy would, might not be able to see it, you know. So I'm really sad that I moved back to Dublin because if I was in Berlin, Colin would be my tech guy. I would be uploading everything <laughs> off him and I'd be slowing down the productions of Circlans, etc. So it's probably a good thing I'm back here. <laughs> good for Colin, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, just send, I just send people to extend <laughs> So Colin, do you, do you have uh, time to spend on music these days? Or is that a hard painful question <laughs> no it's, it's, uh, I would like to get more time I'm, the, the plan is that I will get more time to spend on music you know there's a problem with, with when you're like using equipment that you design that you've always got your kind of designer frame of mind you know hmm. um, there was a really great period of time once we had stopped making the P3 where I actually like just used the P3 a lot and, and got to almost like forget how it was operating internally, you know, mm. when you know what something's doing, like right down to the, the, the minute detail of what the code's doing, you know, with my type of brain, it kind of interferes in the process of just like chilling out and making the music sort of thing. So mm. at some point in the future, uh, yeah, in my retirement, I'll maybe set the circle on <laughs> and I'll have no intention of tweaking the software in any way. And I'll be able to just like be an end user and, and make music with it and, and chill, you know. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think everybody has who is doing music has that problem to a certain extent because you are, you know, you are the creator of things, so you know everything about how it how it came together. So there will always be these little annoyances when you listen back and you think, ah, yeah, I know this envelope was really not snappy enough, or you know, uh, <laughs> fucked up the you know, descent on this one or whatever, you know, and, and never, nobody ever with a, except for yourself will hear these things, um, you know, and will not be annoyed by it except for, you know, if you know how it came together. Um, so I can imagine you, you have that with your, um, you know, if you, if you're working with gear, you designed yourself that you get like these little annoyances, like, mm, yeah. why is it doing this? Or <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're Trying to trying to do a tune and then you you realise that there's something's not quite right and the next thing you're you're in the compiler you know looking at the <laughs> and that kind of like spoils the vibe you know you go back to it and you you fixed the whatever bug it was and uploaded a new version. You of need Bulo a separate room, like, right? What was it I was doing there? Yeah, oh, I can't even remember which synth was playing, you know. Or the worst thing, at, which I've done like not that often, but every so often I'll be like working on a track. 
really getting into it, thinking, yeah, this is really good. And then I'll spot some kind of software issue and I'll go and I'll do an update. And then <laughs> the next thing I've applied the update and it's like wiped the memory because like the the, up, the fix that I've done to the software has moved stuff about in memory and I've not thought to do a backup before I've like updated the OS. And then the thing ends up like whatever it was that I was working on is gone, you know, mm. um, before, obviously, before. I mean, I, I rarely get around to recording anything because yeah. it's, it's I've, I've not got an easy setup. I need to get one of these, like, Zoom recorders or something, you know? Totally. Where it automatically, like, something that would automatically come on and record because I never, ever remember to record anything, mm. you know? And whenever I... Oh, that's I, the I first think, thing I do when I... First thing I do when I hit start, you know, uh, of, of the hardware setup, you know, it's it's already recording because even even there even there if there isn't any any sound, you know. So yeah, oh, another to, thing I that I was, I was a habit I should get into, really. Yeah, the black it's, box. It's, I think the black box is very yeah. good. Get it, get a tattoo, <laughs> press record, you know. <laughs> um, you should even just be able to get a box that you have a switch, you know, a record toggle switch. So as soon as you power it up, it goes into record, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> records because these things have got like enough ssd or whatever in them that they can record for hours and hours of multiple tracks you know it's just well maybe an idea for an update on the circlon you know just uh god no have it send god. out have it send out have it send out uh, Stop giving them ideas. A command <laughs> no one thing i was thinking uh colin um, um you know uh has a synth or a limitation of a synth that you own ever inspired you to make the Circlon do something to uh, overcome the limitation of the synth? Yeah, I mean, I think so. To a certain extent, there's like, um, there's uh, the there's polish, the polish spread feature that's in the Circlon. Um, I had hoped we'd overcome a, li a limitation, but it ended up not overcoming the limitation. Um, the MKS, I've got an MKS 50, which is like the Alpha Juno in the rack form. Um, and it will do like a MIDI mode four, where you can set every voice to go to a different MIDI channel. And the poly, the poly spread feature lets you set up an instrument so that it will like allocate, it will use multi, a spread of MIDI channels. So you can say, you've got the MKS 50, you can set it in mode four. So each voice is responding to MIDI channel one to six. And the polyspread instrument will send out the notes from a polyphonic pattern and circle and across and allocate those to those channels. Um, so one of the things that I thought was I was doing that was really clever was um, the polyspread supports uh, rechannelizing poly aftertouch. Because I've got a, a couple of these um, Gem S2s. It's like an old, crappy Italian '90s workstation. Um, and I shouldn't be saying this, but they, they have polyphonic aftertouch. You know, so they've got aftertouch in every key. And I, I picked up a couple of them for 150, 150 quid at the time each, you know. And these things are full, like, polyphonic aftertouch. Every key has its own touch sensor, you know. And you can't get a poly aftertouch keyboard now. There's very few of them that are made new. And these things are available cheap. So poly aftertouch sounds really good for, like, if you're opening filters on, like, a pad sound, you know, a nice dark analog pad sound, you can just press down on one key just to open the filter in that key. So the poly spread feature um, takes polyphonic aftertouch and converts it into channel aftertouch. So I had this great th th theory that the MKS-50 would then gain polyphonic aftertouch and I'd be able to do wonderful pads with it. But as it turns out, even when it's in Monowood 4 and every voice is on a separate channel, 
um, it sums the aftertouch value that comes in all those mm. channels and just applies it globally to all the voices so you don't get the, the, the platonic aftertouch that you had mm. hoped for but still the, the like the voice allocation functions in polyspread are more useful than the, the, the voice allocation in the MKS50 so I still drive it like as a mono instrument using the polyspread and I can control it that way mm. um, the it's quite good for I was going to say, it's quite good if you've got a JDXA and you wanted to be able to play the four analogue voices polyphonically, but with separate sounds, you know, like in the old Oberheim 4 voice, you can have yes. each, uh-huh. each individual voice can be a totally different sound. You can't do that on the JDXA itself because it kind of just takes one of them as the source for all four. But using Circle, and you can, it sounds really cool. And you can make even more complex polyphonic instruments by mixing the analog and digital voices and, again, using the, the voice rotation to uh, to move them around. If you have yeah, I've done that with, with Polysense, setting up, setting up, up like a 16-voice um, poly spread and then yeah. having half, you know, half of them going to one synth and half of them yeah. going to another synth. So you end yeah. up with, you know, like effectively like a 12 or... 16 voice polysynth that's really two synths but it means that mm. if you're playing notes with a long decay you can have patterns where you have long decay and those the notes don't cut each other off so soon and you also have slightly different sounds and it can sound really nice where you have a pattern that's playing on two different really like interleaving the voices sort of semi-randomly from two different synths can be really a nice effect you know mm. um, I need more synths to do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe people in the comments can suggest um, yeah. since for Colin to 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 get you know uh, get some uh, get some uh, ideas from the from the community. Colin already uh, currently has one of the best synths in the world. <laughs> Which one is that? Colin, do you wanna... <laughs> or is it or is it a secret? The or is best synth in the secret? world. Oh, he's not saying anything. He's not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, There is a question from um, uh, Monistan. Can you do a bouncing ball tutorial for the Circlon? That's that Apex Fin track, yeah. Yeah, you know what? That that would be a really good exercise to get to know the Circlon. I'm sure it's possible. Um, So (laughs) I would say to Monistan, get a Circlon and try it out because that will teach you a hell of a lot. Yeah, just get a Circlon. About the machine, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorted. I don't think I know that track. Which track is that? It's uh, it's on the Come to Daddy. Yeah, sing it. Sing it, Stephen. (laughs) It goes like this. (laughs) It's like an exponential ball um, bouncing and then the bounce gets smaller and smaller like that. Yeah, like a physics physics thing. Yeah. 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 So with the oh, circle, you can change the tempo on each step, but you can't change the tempo wildly enough for this effect. Yeah. I'm thinking if you wanted to do it, you would use the note repeat, maybe. I'd have to look into it because a few people have mentioned it before. I'm not sure 100% if you could get it. I think software is actually a really good, is a, a, a good example of doing uh, how it could be better done in software, but I'll have to give it a go on the circle and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You change, right. Do note repeat and change the note length, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, you can do. Uh, yeah, if you do repeat by length, mm. and have an ox changing the length. I'm not entirely sure. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, there you go. Money's done. Three different answers. 
yeah, maybe. <laughs> lucky, We're not lucky, sure. Lucky you, <laughs> but not the definite I've heard one. stuff done on the circle, <laughs> and I don't know how it's done. You know, I mean the the, the tempo changes that's in the the collapse track by Apex. I've no idea how he did that. I mean, he, he programmed that somehow with tempo ox events. You know, but tempo changes. I don't think there are tempo changes in that track. They're just signature changes. No, and the, like yeah. in the collapse bit where it all. There's a bit. There's a bit where it kind of sounds like it's going like that, and it does slow. It sounds like there's a bit of a tempo change. Right. That the the video is very interesting because in the video you can see some of them, the files. If you some of your save files in the circlon, if you take them off your SD card and load them onto your computer and open them up in a file editor, you can see the what's the data layout called, Colin? It's JSON that it's in. It's in JSON. Yeah. And so it's like a human readable format. Yeah. And Aphex Twin used these files as part of the video for that collapse track. He gave it to the Weirdcore guys and they have all, like, they edited it up. And you can kind of see glimpses of, oh, he used an electron mm-hmm. drum machine and he's got, like, another, he used yeah. the ARP 2500 here. Well, that's what he calls the instruments. So you assume he's mm-hmm. naming them the way they actually are. So I've been freeze framing through that video going, oh, yes. Well, but why? You know, it could it could easily be just an audio edit, right? I mean, why would why would you go through? Uh, all, uh, yeah, or is, that, it, or is that not? Yeah, okay. I'd, it could be an audio edit, but I feel I feel like it was done in the circlon. But just uh, I'm, to I'm show spe- off. But I'm speculating. I'm speculating. <laughs> I'm speculating though. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. What else? So, um, Paul. What is your uh, what your, does your studio look like except for the corner we can see? I mean, you <laughs> well, don't have to turn your camera, but I'm just curious. Yeah, what d- else? For, what else? Oh, goodies you got? I, I have another there. end. Uh, the the studio down there has got all my Eurorack stuff, which is mostly turned off. I I really don't use much of it anymore because it was down to the too many choices thing. Uh, but I have a little setup based on the Electron Digitone, which has got another black box attached to it. Um, a GR1, the uh, granular synth, which I oh, really yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got a blow felt, currently full of Molotrons, and a Roland System 8, which is my sort of tweakable new toy. Um, not had that for too long, but I really like it. Nice. Yeah, this uh, the granular one is actually by a Dutch company, isn't it? Yeah, Tasty Chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've I've just found it wonderful. One of those devices that I've always wanted and never quite realized until I got my hands on one. Mm. Uh, I've been turning some of my friends' cello and violin recordings into marvelous new <laughs> things that, you know, every time you sit down and play it, you go off in a new direction. I know, eh? Yeah, it's, you know, a granular synth and a big reverb is, is, uh, is good for... Uh uh, nights and nights and nights of uh, of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And it doesn't just do granular. It goes up to chunks of about five seconds. So you can mm. do pseudo looping effects and, you know, kind of backwards and forwards looping and so on just by playing bits of phrases that you've recorded. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool thing. Yeah, really cool. Do you have anything that does samples in your studio, uh, Stephen? Or is it all analog, strictly analog? Yeah, I've got some samplers. I've got a... Um, a studio electronics uh, 440, the sequential circuits. Oh, uh, wow, that one. Yeah, yeah Mantronics. It's, it's really nice. Yeah, it's um, from 1985. It has 512 uh, kilobytes of RAM. So it's really, really short. I've also got 
an Octa track, which Paul loves, but mm. I have not been able to get on with the Octa track at all. It's one of the Electron should sell a window that I could throw at you every time out of frustration. Okay, I feel the weekly uh, Electron. Uh, um. No, no, but now I love Electron stuff, right? I have, I have an Electron rhythm. I have an Electron um, machine drum. I have the heat. I have a Digitact. I love Electron stuff, but I just cannot get on with the Octatrack. And that's not the Octatrack's fault. Mm. A bit of it is, but also it's. I think it's <laughs> a bit my fault as well. Just I get frustrated with it. It's a very kind of unique operating system because i've seen people do amazing stuff in the octatrack yeah. like really yeah, incredible and, stuff and, and nobody ever does the same thing with it everybody has their own way of using yeah. it it's it's mm. like a it is the machine you want it to be really you know it's like mm. for some people it it's like the real-time sampling thing the other other people just use it as a sort of like a a sampling drum box or whatever uh, and others just use it to sculpt sounds you know you know there's so many ways of using it and nobody there's not a single person i know who uses it the same way everybody has their own way of interacting with it um but yeah i mean the, the, i think the only shortcoming is probably the lack of uh, individual outputs so everything yeah. is sort of you have to you know usually when i when i use it i i usually use use it for one or two sounds and that's it you know i don't make entire uh, tracks inside it because yeah you're basically confined to to the stereo out you know it's and the thing I have that can hold the longest sample you can have a sample that's like an hour long and it'll yeah. be you can play it off the cart whereas you know the sample in the studio 440 is like four seconds long yeah you could yeah. DJ with it you could DJ with mm. a, an octa track yeah mm. so I still yeah. you know it frustrates me and I know I'm complaining about it but I I still have to get into it more and uh, kind of figure my way around. I want to find someone who's done a video like the depth that I've done the Circlon videos <laughs> for it. So if any, anyone has some good Octatrack video recommendations, send them over to me. I'd be really interested to see them. There are many, but um, again, all in very different areas, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, for me, I think it's a really powerful uh, sample sculpt sculpting machine. You know, you can basically... Uh, as an exercise, when I just got it, I made an entire track out of just one rim shot, you know, just copying it over and treat it and resampling it and just make all, all these different types of sounds from, you know, just one source. And that, that, you know, taught me how incredibly powerful it is as a sculpting tool. You know, it's a really, it's, a, it's insanely powerful for sculpting sound. Yeah. And it's, it's got to be your thing, though, old. if you're, if you're not into that, you know, if you're more, into no, I, have, I just need to get into the the unique Electron way of doing things when it comes to the Octatrack. Mm -hmm. They have. Their do, own. do you use the Arranger? Have you tried that? No, I, I, do you know what? It's been in a box for a while, yeah. so I need to get it out of the box again. Because <laughs> yes. you know, you, you almost don't need to. Head. Yeah, you almost don't need to because now you can store the tempo in every single pattern. But once upon a time, if you wanted to remember the tempo. You had no choice but to use the arranger because it just okay. has one tempo for the whole machine. You know much more about this than I do. I, I just, I, I reluctantly learned to love it. I, I, I'm on my second one. I eventually. See, it's uh, tricky. You, you I, yeah, yeah, that's a little totally. I fought it for a long time because I was changing my way of working with it every week or every other week. I thought, oh no, I'm going to do this with it now. And finally, I discovered that the secret is to do everything it everything it can do. You've got to learn it all. The MIDI bit, the arranger part, the, everything. And then once you can do it all without thinking, it works. It has some weird limitations. That takes, 
it takes a long time yeah, I was, it, well, I was it took saying, me a long time yeah I was going to say you know that that you know is like weeks with uh, the manual on your lap you know yeah. it's one of those machines I mean I, I hardly ever touch a manual when I get something in the studio I just you know try to explore it without even uh, looking at it you know uh, uh, looking at the manual but the Oxatrack is definitely you, you really can't do much with it without I, really sort of studying it you know I, I think I learned mine better when I stopped trying to learn it with the manual because I find <laughs> electron manuals incomprehensible. They just there seems to be a long sentence that says you know nothing, even if I read it three times. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> now put the manual aside. Just <laughs> yeah, I know how to get it out of the box. Like God, that, that's stupid. Step number one: get it out of the box. Yeah, yeah exactly. open the box. Lid goes this way. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, what else, guys? Let's um, let's get into. Um, I'm, I'm, as always, we're ignoring the people in the in the comments uh, way too much. So, this is your chance. If you're interested in the circle, on you know these uh, these heads, you know can basically um, answer most of your questions. Uh, so, you know, don't hesitate to to drop your comments, drop your questions in the comments. Um, yeah. In the meantime, maybe Colin, what, uh, what? Uh, I still want to know what, what, uh, what your setup looks like. You don't have to reveal the the best synth ever, but uh, um, I know from your videos you got like the nine oh nine and the six oh six and everything. I don't know. I would need to. I'll put the light on, and you can see the studio if I put the light on. <laughs> so, Paul, you've got a mini mug right there beside you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Which do you know which version it is? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was a particular version when I paid money for it, and then when it arrived, I found it was a, something slightly different. In that the oscillators have been removed and replaced by Studio Electronics ones. Ooh. So mine had been hacked quite heavily when I got it, so I didn't feel too bad about having further work done to it. So it's had hmm. quite a few modifications, including an extra LFO, filter FM. It's got PWM and things like that. It's got oscillator oh, yeah. sync. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I just thought, since it's already been messed around with... Got a town it, on it, it, yeah. It may as well get everything I want. So, it, it, yeah, it's great. There's oh, we got, so we got light in Colin's room. A slightly older yeah. Mini Moog. <laughs> got light, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm like old enough to have bought stuff before it got stupidly expensive yeah <laughs> so i bought my mini mug like um 20 years ago i think and at the time was like oh it was 1400 uk pounds <laughs> i paid for it off Vimeo, <laughs> and i was like oh is the analog bubble going to burst you know but uh, <laughs> mine is um it's an ra mug it's one of the so it turned 50 in february this year so it's like one of the the very earliest production and it's that's a good thing because it's worth a lot of money now, but it's a bad thing because I can't really modify it in any way. Because if I, you know, it wouldn't be fair to take a panel, a drill to the, the panel. Uh, I've got a Jupiter 8 underneath that that I also got for what would be a pittance now. Um, <laughs> a little bit of Eurorack, which I. My Eurorack is, I, I'm not like big on modular i did modular in the 90s you know i was on a like a synth diy mailing list in the 90s and built a like a diy modular then and kind of got fed up with like the ergonomic disaster of having all the cables like spilling in front of you you know i i, I hate having to reach through the spaghetti 
I mean, it's great being able to do modular stuff, but um, there's all sorts of possibilities. But I find I tend to just come up with a patch that I like to play with, and then the cables annoy me that they're in the way. So my Euro rack is actually the top half of it there is just a, a, an O-Coast, the Make Noise O-Coast, and then the Intelligent Atlantis. So they're kind of standalone synths. And then in the lower part of it, I've got... Um, a couple of Roland oscillators and then two filters. There's the uh, awesome evolution filter that's like the ultimate incarnation of the Moog ladder, which like there's there's variations on the theme of the Moog ladder and different levels of driving it and stuff in the different Moog synths that kind of give it a different character. And that one has like variable controls for, I think it's called like species and genus but it's basically just controlling the the drive into the filter stages and stuff and it's super flexible really good sounding more gladder filter and then the make noise um, mmg filter as well so uh, those two oscillators and the two filters are set up as voices based around the circlons envelope generators and the cvio so i don't have any other I don't have any hardware envelope generators in there. The envelopes come from CVIO outputs and they're just, and the thing can be set up kind of as a four voice synth, like Paul was saying earlier when talking about the at the Oberheim four voice. I can set up sort of similar sounding patches on that across the four voices and then play it as a polyphonic thing, which sounds quite nice because it, you know, the patch changes or you can go into unison mode and stack it and it makes a lovely big fat noise. Um, and then I've got a couple of, um, Polysynth, the Prophet VS Rack, and the FS1R, which again were, were things that I bought. The, the Prophet VS Rack actually was um, Pete Namluk's. That mm, came from oh, wow. uh, after Pete passed away when this, this gear was sold on. So it's unfortunate that I've got that, but mm. it's in a good home. It's a bit of history, that one. Yeah, a piece yeah. of history, for sure. And then the other side is, is a home built. Um, <laughs> Whoa, Cynthia clone. Hey. So this is a. I don't know if it's if it's in focus there. I don't know if I can focus it. No, maybe not. Anyway, that's is, that's based on. It is um, more stuff gone going on on the panel than the original Cynthia. So what what uh, yeah what the, extra the, stuff um, is going on there? The, the difficult thing to do with a Cynthia is to, is the matrix, and you can still get new matrices. A Swiss company called Geometti that make them. And they're extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, and Paul, like some years back when Paul got his AKS, I'd had a shot of like a brief shot of a Synthi 100 at one point, and I'd seen AKSs or the, the VCS3, but never really like understood how how they how they differed from a normal synth until I got a chance to play with Paul's AKS and really came to understand that you mm-hmm. need to think about this in an entirely different way, and then really wanted one. Um, <laughs> So there was a guy who was, uh, he did a clone of the Synthi. He was an electronic engineer and he'd bought a Synthi like years and years ago. He'd gone to like EMS back in the day when they were in Putney when he was a kid, you know, he was like 15 or something and he'd saved up his money and went and bought this Synthi new and then he'd had it for, for decades and had no idea that they had gone up in value hugely. And then he was like on the internet one day and here was a Synthi for like two grand. So he was... Oh my God! Too open value. Well, bad. yeah. Well, <laughs> you should have another co- look at the internet today. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, so he was like, "Well, the component costs only a couple of hundred, so I could just copy these PCBs and like sell my original, make a clone of it, and sell my original," which is what he did, and that was the the Futney project. 
So um, I was looking for a matrix to build a Futney. So you need at least 16 by 16. Um, and I, I read on a forum somewhere that there was a, this British company that used to make lathes. So like it's a sort of before there were computer controlled lathes, there were these lathes that were controlled by a pin matrix. So like it's the matrix that's on there is um, 29 rows by 41 columns. And it's originally this panel from this lathe where you would program the different operations on the lathe by putting the matrix pins in. So I, I bought this matrix. Um, I shouldn't be saying this either because people will be all on, <laughs> on the phone to these companies. <laughs> it was this, like, company. Okay, so, these, so, these... So, the, so the matrix is a lot larger than in an original city, yes. which made you it's, think, it's what else can I do with it? Yeah, It's yeah. almost double the size. It was like yeah. 29 rows. So I thought, well, 29 is almost 32. And so I could put two synthes in here, you know, and if I didn't double the inputs and outputs, then that saves like four rows. So that's what it is. It's um, it's two sets of synthy boards in the one wow. machine. So it has six oscillators, two filters, two trapezoids, and then everything is all um, on the one big matrix and the two joysticks and um, two, <laughs> two joysticks <laughs> even. <laughs> so, yeah, a single ring mod and a single reverb and then the space to put a, um, an echo at some point. And at the moment, the front panel, like the matrix panel, this panel's finished. So it's like a, a Schaefer panel. And it's, I don't know if you can make that out, but it's got the, um, the flying saucer scene from Forbidden Planet. Um, when the flying saucer comes in to land on Forbidden Planet, there's every noise that you make in the synthy sounds a bit like something yeah. from the soundtrack of Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Um, but the yeah, it's got a, whatever you do with it, it, it ha always has um, a nostalgic sound to it, you know? There's uh, always ah. a, um, yeah, 50 sci-fi type um, yeah, vibe. Yeah, I mean, it's such simple circuits. These really old synths, like at the time they designed this, compo electronic components were so expensive, so they, they did really economical designs of circuits, you know, that really um, then don't behave in an ideal way at all. You know, as, as synthesizers progressed and they were able to do more sophisticated circuits with op amps and everything, you know, and everything was like smoothed out and they got rid of the distortion and stuff, to, to a large extent, it, it totally lost the character of these mm. old synths where like, there's, you know, the filter is just a few transistors and a few crappy capacitors and stuff, you know, and yeah. germanium, there's germanium transistors and things in there and they, the circuit is so simple that it imparts this like this unavoidable quality to it that just is this sort of um, vintage quality, you know. Yeah. You well, yeah. There's there is um, uh, saturation in pretty much in every stage in the synthy, you know. There's there's yeah. uh, saturation in the filter, in the outputs, in the inputs, you know, and everywhere really, you know. So you can you can drive everything into its limits you know and if you yeah. if you start stacking those types of saturation you get like a really thick uh, organic sound you know it's yeah really, it's really and it's really for me is it's it, the thing that's unique about it is that the way that you the way that you use the matrix because if you've got a modular synth um it really limits how much you can experiment with patching it you know because if you've got you've got modulation sources and you've got destinations where the modulation might go and you might have multiples and you might have mixers but if you have already, if you've already got a cable plugged into the available waveform outputs running to some other socket, and you say, well, what happens if I take that sawtooth and also put it in there? 
Mm. It's a really complicated process. You've got to say, well, where's it going now? I've got to take it out of that input. I've got to put it into a multiple and then put another cable in and put another cable into that other Yeah, true. Place you could just add the pin on the matrix. Yeah, it's, it's just the pin. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And I've almost tried not to even, you know, a lot of the time you don't even look, you know, you just play this sort of game of like battleships where you yeah. just try a pin in there and see what it does Sucked and try a pin in there what it does, you know. <laughs> and it, it really lends itself as well to like circular modulations where you have one thing, you know, one oscillator controlling another oscillator, controlling another oscillator, going through a filter, going through the reverb and then going back into the first fil- the first oscillator and controlling that in this kind of yeah, you can do. Cycle. Yeah, yeah, you can. You stick the the in, the outputs into the inputs, and you know, have feedback like that going on. It's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, you would never. I would. I don't think I've ever had it set up where it's been like a oscillator, filter, amplifier out to the output and trying to make like a musical sound. Yeah, like like know? a traditional routing. No, no, that's yeah. not what you do. Yeah, it's it's an incredible instrument. I would. We, we, I've had one for also for 20 years or 25 even or 30 i don't know it's it's been yeah 90s early 90s so it's been around for a while and um every time i i turn it on i still get new stuff from it and uh, yeah. if i have other people using it i still have my own kind of uh routines that i try or you know things that i try before and try to revisit but if if somebody else uses it in my studio you know they get stuff out of it that i never <laughs> dreamt of you know that Steven's they would got ever be oh yeah of course oh then we've we've all got synthes circlons and synthes wow i've never had this be funny if i drop this but the <laughs> i've never actually wired up the cv and gate inputs on it it's, it's got holes in the back to put the cv and gates in and i've just never felt the need oh yeah oh okay so you got you got uh you got uh cv input built into yours yeah. But no, I've never. I, I I intended to do that, and it has the capability to do it. But I've never yeah. wired it up because. Okay. Well, just, I have, and you know, I've never used it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I begged and pleaded for Tony to put it in, and as soon as he did, I I just thought, why have I wasted my time? I, I'm never going to sequence it, <laughs> except I mean, for me own sequencer. Do it. It's, it's yeah. a valid use for it if you want to use it as a synthesizer, like in the sort of say conventional Ooh. as a conventional analog. It works synth, really well you know? as a very acidy mono synth. Oh, yeah, if you do it that way. But really, That's for me, it's just about like frequency modulating the oscillators and ring modulating and loops around feedback loops through the reverb and the filters yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And just and the trapezoids. Like, does you know, yours, Colin? Does yours have speakers as well? It doesn't. No. Okay, because that's one feature I use quite a lot, you know, just have the sound come out of the speaker and have the spring reverb kind of resonate with the sound coming out of the speakers. It makes it sound really dirty, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we should uh, should stick around till like uh, another hour and just talk about the Sinti. (laughs) (laughs) Sinti chat. Sinti chat, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, so so Paul, you said you you never bothered to sequence it. It, it, it No, no. For, for me, the synthy is a, is a tool of uh, reverence. I've I've never even tried to learn it. I've got. Um, <laughs> what is it to learn about? Right. It's uh, well, in, in terms of learning what everything could do. I've never read the book on it. I never no. really try and understand it. It's just another presence in the studio that just sits and usually just sits and burbles in the background while I'm recording things. And occasionally, mm. I just kind of hit the button on the mixer to to record it because it'll just decide to do something amazing by itself 
if yeah, I, so, I kind of so you said I kind of followed Paul's lead on that because I've I've sort of made a conscious effort not to really get to know what it is that I'm doing. You know, you went to sort of just let sort of serendipity take its if you if you try and analyze what you're doing with it too. I much, hate to think um, I've influenced you, but you know, it's <laughs> There's something joyous about having perhaps half a dozen parts of it just on the brinks of uh, brink of kind of breaking up and self oscillation and kind of distortion and, and all sorts of the nasty things that can happen if you just turn one knob a, a fraction. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what I like about it. it. The sound can suddenly go through the roof. You know, you can, you can set people running away in fear. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's what you want. Yeah. Well, this is what I want. Yeah, it can. It, it's a th- big stealer of time, though. You can sit yourself down at it and, you know, pull out all the pins and start from scratch in a patch. And then the next thing you know, like five hours have passed. And you think yeah, especially if the oil light's out. going and, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's definitely one of these uh, these instruments that, um, that are, um, you know, just a really nice balance between uh, getting amazing stuff with uh, you know partly know what you're doing and and totally be oblivious what what's going to happen next you know mm-hmm. so even if you if you think about okay uh, I'm going to patch this to this and then something like this should happen you know some of, sometimes you're right and sometimes it's <laughs> completely something completely unexpected it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good it's yeah it's a fun fun thing uh, there was a question. What, what was that? There was a question. It was, what did I like about the MMG filter? And oh, yeah, what yeah. I like about the MMG filter is that my criteria for any bit of gear that gets to stay in my studio is, is just character. It just right. sounds nice. You know, it has a... Um, it's, in some ways, it doesn't sound like it, but it's quite similar to the Evolution filter in that you have, like... The, the thing I like about filters, my favourite filters are the early Korg filters, in the, the like the Korg Mini seven hundred and seven seventy, and it's because they're really like they were uh, called Travelers, right? On, on yeah, some of these, yeah. But they're yeah. they're a terrible design of filter. They're, they're they 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 use diode rings as like the variable resistant element, and they've got a, just a huge amount of distortion in them, um, and it just gives them this amazing kind of uh, monster character. Um, and I, I you know I've got since that I've. You know, I've had since over the years that I've had Curtis filters in them, and the Curtis filters, you know, the, the IC filters, they have a really nice sound and everything, but for me, they just don't, like, um, they don't get dirty in a satisfying way, you know? So I think I kind of gravitate towards filters that, like, really stamp a kind of... You, you can tell it's that filter, you know? Mm. It's not like, is that, you know, is that the Curtis filter? Is that the, you know, is that just a sort of... Like the like the Korg filter, you know, the, the later ones, you know, like the, the DW8000, DW6000 have kind of got nice IC filter in them. It's like a kind of resonant filter mm. and stuff, but it doesn't really mangle the sound that's going through it. Whereas um, these, yeah, I use both depending on what mood I'm in. Yeah, let's all name our favorite filters. So yours are the Korg and the MMG. Is it MMG, right? Or MGG? MMG. The MMG, yeah, yeah, uh, and the Moog Ladder as well. I mean, the Moog Ladder has is, it's again the, the thing that I like about the Moog Ladder is it has this um, non-ideal behaviour because the way that it works, there's a lot of interaction between the audio that's going into it and the cutoff. 
so like the, the way that a Moog ladder filter works is like a fixed current going through this transistor ladder and then there's the audio signal that's kind of superimposed that on that but the audio signal does actually influence it so like there's certain sounds that you do in the mini Moog and even though you're not modulating the filter cutoff in any way you've got the resonance high up and you'll hear that the filter cutoff is fluttering about and it's fluttering about because like the, the low frequency component of the audio that's going into it is modulating that 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 the cutoff in mm. a way that's not really like ideal or controllable particularly, but just but gives does it have a, kind of, yeah, but it does have character. I think the, yeah, it's character. It's yeah, character. yeah. I think my favorite ones at the moment are the Steiner Parker filter, which I I love. You know, it's sort of like a dub filter. It's really uh, really aggressive, but never painful. If you know what I mean, you know, it never really hurts, but it's it's very oops, sorry. It's re- it's really really aggressive and and really smooth at the same time. And uh, I like the Polyvox Polyvox filter is, is another favorite of mine. And um, I've been meaning to get back into my uh, MMF, you know, Schwemann MMF filter. Oh, yes. yeah. Like for surgical work, you know, like really surgical f- filtering stuff. Um, so I would say those are my three favorites. <laughs> Sorry, my phone was ringing. What about you, uh, Stephen? Your, your um, favorites? Yeah, that's a good question because Colin was saying he doesn't like IC filters. What well, he doesn't think they're amazing. I actually do think that the SSM 2040 is one of my favorite filters ever. That's the one that was in the Prophet 5 Rev 2 before they changed over to the Curtis filters. And it's also in one of my favorite monosynths called an RSF Cabal Expander, which is um, the French Minimoog, some people call it. And that filter is just something special about it, especially for bass sounds. It's really smooth, creamy, I would call it. The SSM 2040. One of my favorites. Mm. Oh. What about you? Uh, what about you, Paul? Ah, well, just just to be different, I would say <laughs> I'm currently on my fourth MS20. Um, I bought one of the new green ones mainly because it was green, and I'd forgotten how much I liked. <laughs> I'd forgotten how much I liked the original MS20 filter. I think most of the ones I've had through my life have been the, the second filter, which is nice enough. Uh, but there's just something about the tweakability and the, and the angle on the panel of the, uh, the two knobs that you can just, you can just hang off those two knobs and, and just, well, I, I can be extremely happy for a long time doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've recently got a touche which I'm using uh, to give me more direct control over the filter. So the MS-20 has got kind of its own two filters, which are controlled by two planes of the Touche. And then the output goes into a WASP filter, which again, I use from another plane of the Touche. So I can get some lovely uh, moving sounds just by, just by leaning into that. Mm. Um, so yeah, probably at the moment, I'm back in love with the MS-20 filter, which was- uh, That's a classic. Yeah, it's just one of those things I used for so many years that I'd, I thought I'd heard everything it did, and I foolishly sold my last one, and of course had to buy another, <laughs> as, as you do. That's what yeah. happens. Yeah. Someone mentioned Emu, um, Emu and SSM. Like Emu used SSM filters back in the day. Emu was Dave Rossum and Co. And Dave Rossum and Co. used SSM. Colin, you probably can correct me here. I don't know whether they might be talking about the the later digital filters because Emu did Zen filters that are really like um, they're also amazing, yeah really good digital filters but that's because Dave Rossum was like a, you know 
Actually, yeah, to yeah. to go, to answer this uh, or to uh, hook on to this uh, uh, comment by Claudia uh, about the EMU filters and why she kept the samplers, there's actually uh, a Euro record unit by Dave Rossum which uh, uses the the original mm. EMU filters. It's like available in a in a mm. standalone box. Yeah, right the Morpheus now. filter. Yeah, the Morpheus. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, set set plane is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. These ones, yeah. Um, cool. I mean, so we went from circle on to synthes to filters. Uh, let's get um, um, uh, give people who are in the comments like one last opportunity to. There's a good to, one there. Yeah. For Colin, I saw. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Which yeah. one? This one. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been approached by synth manufacturers? Um, to use the sort of to embed the circle on as a sequencer. Um, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I think you know it would. I mean, it's it's occurred to me to do some sort of synth with a built-in sequencer, but I, I, for me, like it's it would be a, a loss of flexibility if you if you permanently connect the sequencer to the synth. You know, I would rather have a degree of modularity you know where you you choose the sequencer and then you pair it with the pair it with the synth of your choice and they integrate well but to you know it would be it's a thing that i'm thinking about doing like potentially because the um the way the circle on two is designed like the the main board is now behind the display in the circle on two so that mean all all the processing power is all in there hidden behind the display um and it would be possible to do like a reduced or a compact version of the rest of the user interface you know and um i'm looking at whether i might at some point do like a almost like a skiff sized version of a circle and more what size about this, like what about this uh, colin diy kits have you ever thought about that or is would that be impossible i i, the, I mean imagine the customer support <laughs> yeah the p i mean p3 was sold as a kit it, it was all through hole and the circle now is really heavily it's all surf. I mean, apart from the encoders and the keys and the LEDs and the keys, everything else is surface mount. And the like, the the circle on two mainboard now is like surface mount that I couldn't even put together myself or, or work on. You know, in order to to use that sort of level of processor, um, like the processor is a BGA chip, so it's like uh, not not a proposition for for doing by hand. You know, so you would be basically selling the sort of internal component, internal boards ready-made, you know, to be assembled into a unit, which doesn't really, um, you know, it just doesn't offer much of a saving over the cost of a unit that's assembled because the final assembly is not, a, you know, it's not a big labour cost anyway. So mm. um, potentially the, the circle on mainboard and display could be a, a platform that I could use for other things. But... Mm. This might be interesting. What is the <laughs> something the Circlon can't do? Or oh, I've got a yet? big list of things. That <laughs> yeah, what is what is the feature request? <laughs> what is actually the most requested feature then, or something that it can't do and that uh, it doesn't um, do? CK pattern muting individual. Yeah, um, muting individual notes. Yeah, the that's pattern. the thing that's technically easy to do, but I just I, I just can't see where to put it in the user interface. I need to. I need. There's different options for how it might be done, and I need to try those out. Um, hopefully, like this summer, I'm going to get be able to get my development hat back on because the last couple of months it's been 
this, the last couple of months I have in the last month or so it's all been about trying to sort out production well in advance so that we don't get scuppered by this um, whole ongoing situation with stuff but before that I was working on like a new version of the, the front panel board um, which makes no difference to the external appearance of the unit at all but it's going to make it much easier for us to put them together so um, I've not been able to do much in the software development side, but there's there's various things I wanted to do. There's like P3 patterns need to be able to do lots more auxes. That's something I want to be able to do. I want to make the like the user interface to access the auxes enable the touch screen. There's a circle into has touch a touch screen, um, but beyond a little test app for that where you can draw <laughs> fancy coloured pictures, I've not really who's able to. Uh, I've not really implemented much with that, so I want to be able to um, like make the user interface more slick, and then it'll be easier to add other stuff in. Because there's only so many submenus and options that you want to have, where you have to remember a key combination to to pull them up, or you know how far you need mm. to go down. Yeah. Whereas if you can just <laughs> touch them. Stephen is getting a story. Oh, he's oh there we go. <laughs> Okay, so so I actually this is an interesting one. Has any customer found out something they did with the circle on that you didn't expect, or has anybody showed you things that you never thought people were able to do with uh, the machine? That maybe is a, is a yes. Good there's last certainly there's certainly things that people have done that I wouldn't have expected them to do. You know, <laughs> quite a lot with of the time it's with Ox events where you know somebody will formulate formulate a way of doing something. Sometimes on the forum, somebody will say, "How can you?" you do this and I'll think of a way of doing that I might suggest but somebody yeah. else will come up with a different approach or whatever you know um, that must be really exciting you know see if you, you put something into the into the public domain and then people f you know use your instrument in ways you never imagined yeah it's quite cool yeah yeah it's, it's like a sort a, of uh, vicarious creativity, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool. The best thing about it is hearing like a great track that somebody has done, and yeah. and to be mm -hmm. able to hear because you know there's some there's some things that you you can hear, like you'll hear in a track, and I can tell how it's being done, and know that it's a particular thing that you can do easily in the circle on that yeah. the person's doing, you know, um, and know that that sort of the, the way that it operates is influenced the way this bit of music sounds, you know, and it's like, that that's really cool. It's really cool to see somebody do a live set, you know, and um, have the place. Totally jump, kill it. Yeah. Really getting into it and, you know, them killing it, you know, that's, yeah. that's really good. Awesome. And it's, you know, it saves me having to put myself out there and try and be a performer. <laughs> myself, you know? Well, in a sense, you're an enabler then, you know, it's like uh, you, you give people the power to, uh, to be creative as well. Yeah. Is, part uh, of the process. Which, yeah part of the process yeah definitely cool guys well um we have already talked for two more than two hours so maybe this is a good time oh. to end on this note and uh, give everybody the opportunity to um to do their little plug if there's anything you want to share with uh, the people who are watching uh, like upcoming projects releases Store have got these great hoodies. These are the store <laughs> hoodies. They're really nice, so comfortable. Well, thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Colin. But they're sold out. <laughs> we might, we might do more. Okay, let's. Uh, yeah, okay, let's. Uh, Paul, you, you, st you start. You start. Okay. Go on, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought my book. Buy my book. Where can people get it? Just off Amazon, really. It's it's a print, if you like, kind of job or a Kindle 
novel. It's about the end of the world. It's got lizards in it and zombies. Oh, great. And <laughs> things like that. Oh, I need to get it. So that. it's really uplifting. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it's about doom and despair and the end of all things. So You should send oh, people, people to your band camp as well. Paul. So can you, can you name the title? Because it was not very clear on the video. Oh, so it's the, Just Another Apocalypse. Just an apocalypse, awesome. Just, just from Amazon, no reputable bookstaller. We'll stick all. a link in the chat for it. Ah, yes. Yeah. That's, okay. that's all I've got to plug. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Stephen, you had I, something to yeah, plug. There is there um, a Rotterdam, Rotterdam uh, Dublin connection uh, sort oh, of uh, a, coming there up. There is right? a Rotterdam Dublin connection. So <laughs> I have an EP coming out on a Dutch label called 030303 Records. It's actually based in Utrecht. And that's it. it's up on the Clone Records website now. It's not available to buy it, but you can check out the sound samples there. I've also got two more records coming out later on in the year, but the labels haven't announced them. So I'll tell you all when they come out. And I have a band camp that has some of my older music on it. And as well as that, on my band camp, I'm selling these special custom-designed postcards, which are... TB303 pattern postcards, right? Oh, wicked. So you, you note down your pattern, the notes and the accents and all, and all the settings, and then you write a message to your friends and you put the address, and then you send that acid <laughs> pattern to your friends, and then they get to make the, the song. So I've got a completed one here that some, uh, me and some friends did there. So if you're, I'm selling these blank ones on Bandcamp and you can order them in sets of five or so and then you send them off to your friends and my new EP that's coming out on the Dutch table is actually called uh, Philatetic Diatalamine Diatalamide I should say so that's uh, got a, a postal theme to it because um, you know the little, the little stamp is going to be a smiley face you'll see in the artwork when it comes out <laughs> awesome so uh, release date? Uh, the release date for that is uh, I think about a week or two Okay, okay, yeah. cool. Awesome. Is that all yeah. you want to plug? Um, I would definitely also encourage people to uh, to check out uh, uh, Stephen's uh, oh, yeah, the videos, uh, YouTube, the... YouTube uh, channel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to do... I've done some Circlamp videos already covering a lot of the stuff, but I my next ones are going to be the AUX events, which we were talking about already. That's going to be multiple videos. Um, I'm currently, right now, I'm actually in kind of the music-making mode so the aux events will take a bit more time for me to get into because sometimes when i'm making videos that kind of takes me out of the music making mode so you know i have yeah. to split up you the got time you there. got some uh, some music making videos there too right like yeah uh, i got some videos of some really, with, really good ones with uh, the, the phoenixes and stuff you know the ah uh, yeah uh, sort of I, the, I love that see there's another <laughs> dutch connection the phoenix yeah. <laughs> um, that's bert vermuller actually he, also utrecht yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. I'm actually on the list for the Phoenix Four as well. Yeah. And that's it. The other, the this is not rocket science, guys. So yeah, that's all my plugs for today. Awesome. Don't worry. I'll, any more plugs, I'll post them into the chat. I'll keep annoying <laughs> people about it. Don't worry. Okay. Thanks, Stephen. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, uh, great to have you on, um, Colin. Hello, do you have a sequencer you want to sell? <laughs> yeah. No. Anything? No. <laughs> We're queued up. I try not to promote it. I don't even know why I'm doing this. <laughs> well, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, well, hope, hopefully the, the international situation sorts out and we get cranking them out soon. We'll see. Fingers crossed. All right. 
Well, it was a joy and a pleasure uh, to ch talk to you guys. Um, great to have you all on, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for all the information and uh, and uh, thoughts and insights. So um, yeah, another great night at the Wednesday Musicians Pub. Uh, Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Indeed. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's really fun. nice to to speak to you all, and uh, so yeah, I'll I guess uh, for me there's one uh, one thing I want to plug. It's the uh, the Discord server where uh, Stephen is also a regular. Uh, it's where all us nerds hang out uh, when we're not chatting uh, <laughs> during these streams, uh, and so I think Sander should be posting the link to. There we go to the Discord server. So have a look there if you're interested in uh, interested in um, in nerding out over over gear and the whole music making process. It's a nice place to uh, to meet uh, like minded people. So uh, have a look there and also check out our Patreon page, uh, which is there to support this project or to get sound packs and even masterclasses and uh, sort of backstage information and uh, you know that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. Have a look there, and um, thanks for everybody who is watching this on uh, Twitch. Um, have a good week. See you next week. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Mm -hmm.